submitted for your approval. A world gluttonous with content. One might say too much content for any one man to find all of it, consume it all, and make his own determination. And in that world, one little-known podcast. An independent one, formed by a brother and sister team. Its mission is to go through all these forms of content and determine what belongs on your shelf. But what this brother and sister don't know is that they're in for a world where they will do this forever. Couldn't happen? Well, it could. Here on Shelf Life. I'm Kevin. Or Rod Serling. This, this is Shelf Life, a podcast hosted by a brother and sister where we are going through all things in the uh, pop culture zeitgeist one at a time, uh, insisted on by Rachel that we go through them one at a time. To determine what how else would you do it? In... What at a time? You would do like twelve well, at we'd, a time. We, we'd skip stuff we think is only mediocre, oh, okay. and we don't do that here at Shelf Life. No. We are very thorough, so we are going through things one at a time to determine what belongs as part of your collection. What belongs on your shelf? What is shelf worthy? And we've been doing all sorts of things um, here on this first season of Shelf Life, from movies to comics to tv and today we have a very we're we're going in the wayback machine we're starting close to the beginning at least for television rachel what is up for consideration today we're going into the twilight zone that's right we're starting our adventure into the multi well so i guess we should point out uh yeah we are doing <laughs> we are starting the twilight zone it's the it's the first season of the Twilight Zone, uh, the first part of the Twilight Zone. So two things for you, gentle listener. One, we are recording this on our nation's birthday. Uh, so if you hear cracks going off in the background, it's fireworks. There are not explosions in your house, car, bathroom, or wherever you're listening to this. <laughs> I would hope not. Um, I Maybe not. I mean, who knows? There if you're listening be. to this in the dystopian future, there, I, there could be, I guess. Two... Because it's the Twilight Zone, we are recording this extremely late at night. And three, because it's the Twilight Zone, we are recording this with no lights on. I the only light that Ra- that that Rachel can see of me is the is the glow of my laptop. I have the microphone up to my face like like I'm an old-timey <laughs> recording artist. Just to give that illusion, because I want us to be sucked back into the world of 1959, because that's where we're going right now. Oh, yeah. Rachel just turned off another light. Yeah. Well, because I felt like, you know, you, you have all your lights off. I might as well turn some of mine off as well. I mean, <laughs> I don't... There, It's possible... Well, well, we even we started the recording. There were some glitches. There oh was my some gosh. weird stuff going on. So I don't... It's possible that some weird stuff could happen to us. I, I mean, we Does, are going into the Twilight Zone. Like, we're, like, physically going into it. Okay, that's what we mean. The, behind the door. We're going or behind in, the door. Or because it's because the, it's the first season, we're going into that weird cave chasm thing. <laughs> that's true, that's a, yeah. <laughs> I can't really tell what that is. So... We've been stuck in the 90s for a while. We're going way, all the way back to 1959. And for 
many listeners, there's a possibility that they don't really know, one, what the Twilight Zone is, or two, why we would choose the Twilight Zone to start or have a part of in season one. So, Rachel, I'm going to ask you uh, to kind of help answer the listener both those questions. Like, why? What is the Twilight Zone, and and why did we, why did we pull it in? Why did we book the book the Twilight Zone for the for the season? Well, so uh, the Twilight Zone is a TV show that likes to kind of poke at um, the what ifs of the world, like oh, what if certain things could happen, or like weird supernaturally things were real, things like of that nature. It's not if you wheel. If, if you wheel, uh, not something that could like technically happen in our realm, but also could happen. It gets very murky, so that's what I would call the Twilight Zone. Yeah, it's like science fiction yes. and fantasy. Yes, if you want to give it a genre, yes, science fiction, so, and fantasy, and sometimes and sometimes horror. Yeah, and sometimes horror. You get a little action every once in a while. You know, maybe a western in there. A Western mixed with <laughs> fantasy. Yeah, I mean, it is, that's what it is. It is a, it's an anthology series. Every every episode is different, uh, which means because every episode is different, we will tell you, we don't have to tell you whether each season needs to be on the shelf. We don't have to wait till the end of the seasons to tell you if it belongs on the shelf or not. We're going to tell you if the episode has shelf life. Yeah. Because you can pick and choose how you watch The Twilight Zone. I would say it has a lot of commentary on modern life Absolutely. in the early 60s. And it is famous, uh, of course, what I think most people know of The Twilight Zone, even if you've never seen an episode or, or don't know much about it, is the twist endings. Yes. Which, more often than not, it's not necessarily that there is a twist. It's, it's a lot of... They got more than they bargained for. Right. Like or the like there's character. like some sort of reveal of like what actually it could be happening. Or they learn a lesson. Yes. Like a lot of these are parables. A lot of these episodes are parables. Yeah. Very, very much like short story little novelettes put into 30 minute episodes. Yes. And the, um, and, and the interesting thing is, is there was a revival of the Twilight Zone that came out, I guess not recently, but you know, fairly recently. I think they canceled at this point, but there was a season or two of that that they did that's modern. That's more modern. Right. And a lot of modern people would probably equate this to Black Mirror. Yes. Black Mirror is definitely a modern. Twilight Zone is more sci-fi fantasy horror black mirror is is definitely just sci-fi and is uh, uh, sci-fi dystopian right which is typically just kind of shoving the stuff that is real into a more extreme version and like just throwing it in your face like (laughs) this is actually what it is (laughs) the the difference between the two shows is i feel bad after watching black mirror black mirror gave me anxiety like it legitimately made me feel like i was about to have a panic attack and i was like okay i can't watch this often yeah. (laughs) yeah i can't watch more than one episode of black mirror sometimes twilight zone leaves me kind of freaked out just a little unnerved most most often like there's there's episodes that leave you with a smile on your face oh yeah that too like oh okay learned a lesson or Mm -hmm. whatever but definitely not with black Mirror. no black mirror i feel like is always that no we're trying to make your stomach just turn constantly is black mirror on the list rachel (laughs) 
I think we might have to. I think you know what? Yeah, yeah let's let's add that to the list. Where's yeah, my list? Yeah, put that on the list. Where's it? Where? Wait, what happened to your note? What happened to your notebook? I gotta find it. Where is my notebook? Wait, this isn't my notebook. You your NXT belt fell. Oh no! What? But this one's not. This isn't my notebook. Hold on. This is getting weird. Got it. It was on the shelf. Oh, she got it. It was okay. on the shelf. Okay. <laughs> my shelf for life a second there, notes I, were on the shelf. For a shelf. second there, I thought I thought that like it got replaced in the multiverse. Yeah, I mean it's just something. it's just totally blank now and full of pictures instead. <laughs> All of that kind of brings us to why we're doing the Twilight Zone. I will sum it up this way. I, well, and Rachel, I'll ask you this question too. So I'll, I'll go first. I had never watched the Twilight Zone at all uh maybe here or there i knew of some stuff it was probably too scary for me as a 25 year old but <laughs> i i know all of the famous beats and moments of the twilight zone mm -hmm. because they've been done by so, they've been done so many times by so many things else other things that we as love parodies. like as parodies or homages even like camera angles some of the cinematography has been mm -hmm. done in other things it's been it's so beloved by our parents and their parents generation that a lot of the stuff when we were kids and still to this day use the twilight zone as homage or parody or inspiration absolutely so i knew a lot about it so maybe five years ago or so when i saw that netflix had all the twilight zones i was like well i'm gonna start watching them while i like do whatever work or, or play a video game or something so i started watching them and and they vary in quality but you see why people really took to them because it i think it probably was one of those first tv shows that stood for something and had a lot of heart and commentary and was different i thought thought it was a, a good choice to go with because it as we did we said with the simpsons and with Seinfeld, it's kind of the root of a lot of the television world that we enjoy. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with, I mean, it really starts with The Twilight Zone. You can't get through a lot of Simpsons seasons without Twilight Zone, Twilight Zone, oh, Twilight absolutely. Zone, Twilight Zone. It is all over The Simpsons. Yeah. But Rachel, what's your experience with The Twilight Zone? I've always been into like sci-fi, fantasy, all of that kind of stuff. So I'm pretty sure that what, if this was on TV... I would be watching it. Yeah. Even when I was younger, it was, it was, I would watch it. There's a lot of episodes that stick into your head. There's like the really famous ones that a lot of people, even if they've want, haven't watched it, probably know. They know it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then there's the little ones, the hidden gems that a lot of people just don't parody or, or show off in other shows a lot that it's like, oh, well, this one's actually like a really good one type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of them kind of flop, so we'll get to it. But um, yeah, some of them are not very good. Right. <laughs> so, but I I enjoy just having it on, even just like in the background. It's just kind of like a nice thing to watch, and sometimes you can still parallel things to today's world, even. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we'll 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 get into it. Yeah. I mean, it's it is. I think to this day, overall, I will kind of probably say like the show has shelf life, but but we're gonna go into into the individual episodes mm -hmm. and determine that. When you're talking about the Twilight Zone, it all starts with Rod Serling. Rod Serling is the creator. He is the poor imitation voice that I tried at the beginning of the episode. He's the narrator. He's the writer. And, and he's kind of your host. 
of the show. Um, he doesn't come out in the first season, but he does walk across the screen sometimes in later seasons. Right. But as we've done on other episodes of television or the movies, give you a little bit of a little bit of background on how what we're going to walk through came together before we deep dive into the episodes because uh, it's important to to know a little bit about where this is coming from and why the show was made in the first place uh, how did it get made if you if you wheel i've heard that before <laughs> i don't know why so rod serling was when the twilight zone what came to fruition he was uh, known kind of as an angry man in hollywood he would clash with the censors over censorship constantly mm-hmm. but that all stems from his past from when he was growing up and was always kind of a consummate performer. He was a guy that was into pulp fiction type stuff, would love, you know, the comics, those dime store books, the radio shows, that kind of stuff. Uh, And he's growing up in the 20s and 30s. In high school, he wrote for the school paper, and because just out of encouragement, like people realized that he kind of was creative. He needed like an outlet for it. Okay. So he wrote for the school paper and he gained a, a reputation for being a bit of a social activist. So if you can imagine somebody that's a social activist in the 30s, um, <laughs> that's what Rod Serling kind of gained a reputation for being. In 1943, he joined the war and he became part of the Parachute Infantry Regiment, where he ended up in the Philippines as you could probably kind of guess if he's kind of a social activist he speaks his mind okay and the army is not going to stop him he is sent to the death squad basically he <laughs> must have pissed someone off because he was sent to a squad that like had 50 percent mortality rate like wow. it was something where he's the good chance he's gonna die Jeez, um, that's ridiculous yeah he he really wasn't a good soldier he he was pretty bad he he just didn't want to pay attention to a lot of the rules, but he did believe in the war effort. So, I mean, that's how that generation was. They they felt like they had to fight. Right. As we've talked about. It, I mean, to your point, Rafe, World War II. I mean, I mean, World War II is my favorite war. Yeah, it's all of our <laughs> There's only three good wars, and one of them was World War II. Yeah. So the war and his experience in the war affected his writing for the rest of his life. And you see that in the Twilight Zone. A lot of it is about death. A lot of it is about how death can hit you at any time. About A lot of it takes place in the Philippines. A lot of it is about the war, which makes sense. I mean, the context that you we have to remember is the Twilight Zone starts in 1959-1960. That's the first fall-spring season of the Twilight Zone. Okay. That is 15, not even, years after the war is over. So, I mean, go 15 years ago from the time of this recording. Right. It's not that far in the past. No. It really isn't, when you really put it in perspective. Oh, my God. So Rachel, (laughs) Rachel is actually in the Twilight Zone now. She's behind the scary door. I mean, even that, Futurama with the scary door. Yes! We're going to enter in to the scary door. I mean, <laughs> we're not going to... Yeah, this is... I don't know. One of, I mean, we're, we're really tempting fate with my weird, scary hallway. <laughs> and now you're like by the... It, we're just keep an eye on things, okay? 
Cause I, I mean, we got the we got the bomb things going on. I know the... the bomb things. You mean fireworks? <laughs> I hope yeah, it's not like a right. bomb. All of a sudden, we turn into like we're actually in World War Two. Oh my god. Uh, so after the war, he went to college, and he became part of the college radio station there. He wrote, he directed, he acted in a bunch of the programs. He met his wife. They had two daughters. So he's he's living a, a normal GI after the war kind of life sure and he kept writing radio shows for different things after college he sent into a radio show contest which he won wow uh and he also began writing freelance scripts with very very little success okay so so what happened was he moved to cincinnati he became a continuity writer for a radio and sold some freelance scripts. And I, I assume like a continuity writer for a radio show is like people that do like screenplay editing and like continuity editing on screenplay stuff. So he was basically editing and making sure. Because you got to, again, we have to like put ourselves in a world most of us don't remember or know. Mm-hmm. So it's like radio shows back then weren't just, oh, my friends, what are we talking about? What's really destroying America today? It was more, or, <laughs> or, or something where it's like, ah, the fucking Yankees yeah. don't know what it's, it's like radio shows back then were serials. Yeah. So you'd have Batman going on an adventure on day one and the adventure would continue on day two and day three. So you'd have to have a continuity script writer so that the story made sense. Very much like ours. We have a continuity script writer. Yeah, of course for, we do. Yeah, for you know, as the season progresses, as you do, you if you haven't you haven't been able to tell this underlying storyline that we have, you people haven't been paying attention. Yeah, I mean, I would go back. That's and in a different. And... Well, in a different, in a different universe, we have a con a continuity script writer. Are you sure you're not in that universe right now? I don't know. I've totally lost track. I don't know. I feel like everything's backwards. It's it's really confusing. He later kind of said that if he could do it all over, he wouldn't have become a staff writer because he was basically giving away his ideas. Like, because he had to keep churning scripts out, it was how much of this am I going to be able to do before I can't come up with an idea anymore (laughs) for himself? So he didn't think radio was keeping up with TV, so he he decided to become a writer for TV. So he kind of changed his profession. He started writing commercials, basically, and 1950s-style commercials Mm -hmm. where... It was for, you know, like ointments and snake oil and stuff like that, that, <laughs> like, you know, garbage. Right. Eventually, he went full freelance and he hired an agent who convinced him to move to New York. And he wrote a script that aired on TV in 1955 called Patterns for the Craft Television Theater, which he didn't see as anything special. He just wrote a script. It was a typical what he thought was a Rod Serling script. He turned it in, get the money, move on. He didn't even watch it. Okay. But after it aired, he received a ton of offers. It was apparently considered at the time one of like the best things people had seen on television. Okay. The the story was about a boss that was running out of ideas. He had been, he was getting old. And this young executive was being groomed to take his place. And instead of firing him and making it obvious that he didn't want the guy taking his place, he enlisted him and pushed him, like pushed him to the side, like oh. made sure he got rid of his competition. Yeah. So it's like a very dark, like it sounds like a Rod Serling thing, right? Yeah, no, like, it does. Absolutely. 
So suddenly he becomes kind of this well-known, like, imagine today, like you could probably find, wow, that was a really good script or mm -hmm. screenplay or whatever, or book or, you know, whatever. So like now suddenly people want more. He didn't have a ton of stuff at the time. So he had all this demand. So he just started selling all of his old shit and people published it. And he was like, oh crap, that was like all my garbage. And people started questioning whether or not he was a one-hit wonder. But then he he started making a couple new things. People recognized how good it was. And he moved the family to California because that's really where you needed to be if you were going to be in TV and film. Mm -hmm. Now that makes sense. So when he was there writing stuff, this is where he has an issue with the censors. So again, Rachel, think of 1950s. Censorship is rampant. Oh, we, yeah. We, we, haven't, we haven't talked about it a lot with comic books because we haven't gone into the 60s with comics yet, but... This is like the McCarthy era. This is the Red Scare era. Mm -hmm. This was this is truth, justice, and the American way. Yeah, exactly. So getting away with a lot of stuff on television is probably pretty damn hard to do. Mm -hmm. And he was forced to change scripts from corporate sponsors who thought some of his scripts were too controversial. They didn't want to do anything that would make the consumers question social issues they didn't want anything that could make their competitors look good or yeah. them look bad. Mm -hmm. And there was one episode the, that I was able to dig up a couple of different... There's a, there's a few examples of like different things where he tried to push the envelope because, again, he's, he's kind of a... He's an instigator. You know? sure. he, he, wants he likes people, to stir the pot He wants people bit. to think. Yeah. He wants people to think. Uh, he's a George Carlin, you know? He's a whatever. So he wrote a script where Jewish pawnbroker was lynched, which I, like, yeah, I know. Okay. Like, we're talking the middle 50s he was doing this. Wow, okay. And he was doing it as a parable for the Emmett Till trial. Or Emmett Till, you know, Emmett Till was a, a black man in the, in the Jim Crow South, got lynched. So he, he was literally pulling this from current events. Right. Like a Law and Order episode. Absolutely. <laughs> and they do it. Um, they do it. Folks at home, uh, if you want us to do some Law & Order, pick your favorite episodes. Like, I know we've said time and time again we're going to go episode by episode, but we just don't have time for Law & Order. <laughs> There's like 80 seasons. Oh It'd be God. like us doing Gunsmoke. It's still going. <laughs> he continues to get really good reviews. He continues to... It, it becomes kind of known that... He's frustrated with censorship. And like even the critics kind of know this. They start to kind of understand it. He kind of said like you can't do one thing or they'll say you're a Republican. You can't do another thing and they'll say you're a Democrat. The censors and the TV studios don't want to deal with it. Which, you know, can't say that it, a lot has changed. But, no, not really. Um, <laughs> so... I'm sure some people out there have made assumptions about us after in the middle of the first season. Don't they always? Isn't that how it works? <laughs> You're judged the second yeah. you show your face or yeah. or voice. I'm not on Twitter. And my real name, again, we're using fake names. But um, <laughs> so all this was happening. He decides the only way he can avoid artistic interference is to create his own show. So... Again, remember, he's he's kind of a very well-known and well-respected writer at the time. 
So he probably has some sway to make his own show, and it's a totally different world, the, the television world back then. So it might have been easier to be able to make your own show. In an interview with Mike Wallace, he said, I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to have to battle sponsors and agencies. I don't want to have to push for something that I want and have to settle for second best. I don't want to have to compromise all the time, which in essence is what a television writer does if he wants to put on controversial themes. And I know that's going into a little bit of Casey Kasem, but it's kind of similar. <laughs> Rod Serling is Casey Kasem with like a lower register. Pretty much. Serling submits the time element to CBS. It's a it's a pilot for The Twilight Zone. It's a, so it's an episode called The Time Element. CBS doesn't want to doesn't want to give him his own show, so they use it as a science fiction script for a different show called Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse in 1958. So it was Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball had another spin-off anthology series. Anthology series were kind of big back then. Yeah. It was a story about a man who has vivid nightmares of Pearl Harbor. He goes to a psychiatrist, and after a session, there's a twist ending where the patient had died at Pearl Harbor, and the psychiatrist was having dreams oh. about... Yeah, I mean, that gives me chills just saying that. I like that. it. <laughs> like, in my, in my, uh, in my gray-scaled um, empty room with no lights on, and the fireworks have stopped so now it's even eerier a little bit the episode got so much fan response cbs let sterling go ahead with the pilot so i think the time element isn't on we're doing this now folks because we don't really know where you'll be able to find the twilight zone it's it's kind of spooky in that way i'm guessing it's on paramount plus uh, well, I think they're pulling it back into Paramount Plus. Like, I think no, that's, that's why what I think Netflix. they're doing. Yeah, that's what I think is happening. So that's how the Twilight Zone became a thing. And at the time, sci-fi was considered kind of dime store trash. It was like the dregs of television. People were kind of even saying to Serling, "We're kind of like, hey, when are you going to stop doing this?" sci-fi shit when you're gonna get into like drama or something like that okay it's, it, it sounds like like comic books were back then too where it's like this is garbage <laughs> mm-hmm. you can't possibly put anything smart in this or any message in this right it's trash and, which, and it which okay think... hold on a second because if you look at anything freaking sci-fi they all have messages they all yeah, do that that's the that's that kind like of the point, point of sci-fi, sci-fi. <laughs> <sighs> but but that's but that's that's always like you know one generation doesn't understand and, sure. and so they don't necessarily see. I'm sure there was a lot of trash. There's a lot of trash oh, yeah. now that people <laughs> yeah. kind of say like I don't know why you like that trash. But there's gems and and there's stuff that that does do good. Like, exactly. Quite frankly, I don't understand why TikTok exists. And <laughs> well, I I don't either. So <laughs> I can't I can't be the other person on this one. A world of videos, TikToks, five seconds long, people dancing. They send it to their friends. Why is it funny? I don't understand. The Twilight Zone. So the Twilight Zone debuts. I don't know if the time element is something you can see on streaming. Uh, it, I, it wasn't like the first episode for me. But we have our first pilot, our first episode, debuts on October 2nd, 1959. 
It is entitled Where Is Everybody? We will get into it. Rachel, anything else to discuss about the Twilight Zone or its history or your thoughts or feelings before we deep dive into the Twilight Zone? Oh, no, I'm ready to get going. Let's do this. Let's jump in. Let's do it. Let's do this. After a short break from our fake sponsor, we will start with Where Is Everybody? Twilight Zone has been brought to you by Milk Wave Lilt, the new home permanent you mix with milk for curls that start soft and stay lively. We're back. Uh, Rachel had some technical difficulties, or she heard something. Yeah, I'm, it's, it's, I don't, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. We can keep I, going. I mean, it could have been Shaquille O'Neal. Probably, but... you know, it, it could have been. So, we begin our journey in the Twilight Zone, October 2nd, 1959, with Where Is Everybody? Rod Serling is the writer, as he will be for most of the, the first season, if not the whole thing. Uh, and he's not for the whole thing, but he, he is for most of the, of the first season. And directed by Robert Stevens. So, I'm going to just do the first narration, and uh, we'll go from there. There is a fifth dimension, beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. And it lies between the pit of men's fear and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area we call the Twilight Zone. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Although I think it, I think I I think in these the first season it just kind of goes like like it just yeah, kind of like fades true. a little it bit. Yeah, that's true. It does. It does. It doesn't. It doesn't have the. It doesn't have the iconic. No. Yeah. Or the quite yet. Or the blink 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 blink. <laughs> it's much more menacing. It is. At this point. It's quiet. It's creepy. So a lot of the score for the Twilight Zone is Bernard Herrmann. Bernard Herrmann is most famous for one of the most famous scores in the history of cinema, which I'm going to do the sound to freak Rachel out right now because, like I said, it's super late and we have all the lights off. It's... You know that used to scare the hell out of me. So yeah, he did the score for Psycho. And he did, he does a lot of the score here, and you can kind of tell. The the theme definitely holds up. Some of the score is very old-timey sounding, but we'll, we'll get into the different ones that, that we found the score is a little bit different. So the episode starts, uh, or the show starts. It doesn't have the iconic theme, like we said. And instead of taking us through the door, through the scary door, it takes us into this like barren land, like it, like an empty cavernous land. But the pan down it, it is the usual opening, where like you're in the stars, and then it right. pans down into the world, into the twilight zone. So we open with a guy. He's wearing a Mike Myers like jumpsuit, and he's walking around kind of like empty fieldish kind of area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and I call, and the only way I could describe it was a Mike Myers like jumpsuit. I Mike hate Myers that you say owl. that. I keep. Why are you bringing up everything <laughs> that like? <laughs> oh 
what nerves I'm trying to get me. You, I'm trying to get the everyone, uh, the folks at home. I'm trying to get you in the mood here. Oh, if man. you're listening to this, if you listen to us, like you know, on your regular basis, like great. But if you can. Try to try to make this, you know, kind of a midnight listen of Shelf Life, or um, at least watch the episodes. If you if you're one that likes to watch the episodes before you listen to our show about it, watch them at, at night. Because like I always think of Twilight Zone as being like a midnight show. It's like a, yeah, a like show that, to make you or like do the witching hour. You go to bed. Yeah. Because it's like, and, so and I mean, it happen. was on in prime time. It was on in prime time at the time. Now, now it, it yeah. kind of comes on at, at like midnight. Three in the clock in the morning, and then or three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> sometimes, it's, sometimes it's on when I wake up. It's like, a, oh, it's like six in the morning. Twilight are, Zone. Are you actually awake though? The Twilight Zone. <laughs> so he hears music, and there's a cafe nearby. So he enters the cafe. But there's no one in it, and there's a jukebox on, mm-hmm. but he can't find anybody, and he goes out back, and he's trying to order food, and he's trying to figure out who's playing the music. Yeah, and like the but way he he's just like anyone. yelling it, like, you have a customer? <laughs> Eggs over easy, hash browns. Hey, you got a customer out here. I'm an egg. Eggs over easy, hash browns. Hungry cash customer. I got $2.85, American money. Sure, American money. Well, we got that much settled. I'm an American. You got a customer here. <laughs> Paying customer. Ham and eggs. Eggs over easy. Yep, he just keeps you yelling gotta, it. You gotta, you gotta talk like your 1950s style, you know, New York <laughs> yeah. 1950s style, no matter where you actually are. And he's got, what? I, how much money does he have? Oh, 285. I got 285 American cash. And I'm hungry. Apparently I'm American. I'm hungry. Yeah. Oh yeah, so, so we kind of find out that he doesn't know who he is. But he, he knows he's American because he knows he has he has American cash. So like he has like some kind of amnesia going on, and he breaks an egg timer here, yep. like an egg timer falls on the floor, right? Which is a little bit of clumsy foreshadowing, but there, that is foreshadowing. It is, but I don't even reality. know if you could call it that clumsy. I don't know if a lot of people would catch that right away. That's true. That's true. I I have the benefit of having seen it before. Right. I mean one one thing to point out too is like we said in the first part twilight zone episodes are known for twists so if you don't want the twists spoiled watch those episodes first before we go through them with yeah, you. yeah agreeing because we are going to go through everything and spoil the twists. so so pause pause your podcast now and we'll wait we'll wait don't worry go ahead and pause yep. okay and, so pause, and then we'll, pausing. and then we'll come back so hold on okay. hold on Okay, okay, okay. I think okay. we can start now, yes. Okay. Spoiler zone. Okay, we are now in spoiler zone. And we are from now on with all the episodes <laughs> that we do. So he talks to no one through this. This is all just him talking. He tries to tell himself to wake up. He tells himself, like, come on, buddy, just wake up, wake up. He says it a couple times. He's not far off. Really? Yeah, no. Um, but but he he does keep trying to tell himself, like, wake up wake up like he thinks he's got to be in a dream because 
there's everything's like, weird. Yeah, it's weird. So he, he finishes it's like just breakfast. like someone it's like everything seems right except stuff was plucked right out of what was happening right then. Yeah. So he finishes the breakfast and he walks to ta- to a town. There's like a town nearby. It looks like Hill Valley. It looks like the Hill Valley set to Hill me Valley. from Back to the Future. It does. It really does look like Hill it, Valley. Like, <laughs> I don't know if it's the same set. I don't know if, like, Robert Zemeckis thought, I'm going to use this for... Or, like, I remember the Twilight Zone, and I kind of want it to look like that. Or if towns in 1950s USA looked like that. But it looks very much like Back to the Future, I thought. No, I agree. I definitely agree. Because it has that whole town square vibe to it. So the first thing he does once he walks into town... I said, this is the quintessential, we're at the tail end of coronavirus pandemic in the United States. It's the quintessential COVID episode for for the Twilight Zone. This is a man that is walking around in an empty town. There's signs of people there, but he can't figure out why. And it just reminded me of COVID. Like, oh, like Rachel, of how you get any of that? Whenever um, you watched, like, video of, with the drones and everything, of, like, deserted areas that used, are yeah, usually, like... like there's signs like, just of people. Tons of people. But you can't find them. Yeah, they're just, like, hiding. It feels like everybody's just hiding, and you could just yeah, yell out, like, all all oxen free, and then they would all, like, yeah. <laughs> around Which the is a very 50s stuff. expression. Yes. But that's what it feels like. All of a sudden, they'd be like, ha, 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 we're here. And they all just all yeah. are, like, leaning outside of the tree or something. Like, it's just weird. Did he re- forget his birthday? And this is, like, a whole town <laughs> surprise. Surprise! <laughs> yeah, that's, it, it really does feel that way. But it's, like, this emptiness. And that's, like, kind of where, like, I got that vibe. It does kind of feel that way, just, like, coming off of, not that I really cared, I, I enjoyed it, but a lot of people <laughs> didn't, and so I, I could understand that, having that feeling watching this episode. Mm-hmm. So he sees a woman in a car, he runs over to it, going, oh, hey, miss, miss, hey, miss, and it turns out to be a mannequin. Which I thought was weird. Okay, why, why yeah, is there it, a mannequin? sitting in the passenger seat of a car (laughs) because it's because it's creepy (laughs) i don't know if it's rod serling or like the him and the cast and crew all found mannequins creepy but we will get into another episode where mannequins (laughs) are creepy yes but but they understand that and they're right because i thought for a second well, first of all, so he, he opens the door to get the, to like get, say hi to the woman, and it turns out to be a mannequin, so she falls onto the ground. The mannequin does. And he apologizes and to her. And... He, yeah, he apologizes to her. He starts talking to her. Did you catch the fly that lands on the, the car door and sits there for a second? I don't think I saw that. Yeah, there's like a fly that just kind of comes and like sits on the car door. <laughs> it was like in the middle of the frame, and I couldn't stop looking at it. Oh my god. What, one thing that I will say, the the quality, the, I don't know if this is like a Blu-ray scale that we that I watched, but it is oh, very it good. good looking. Yeah. It's a very good looking print uh, or whatever it is, scan or whatever it is. But yes, there was a fly on the door. 
And then he walks into the store where the car was parked with the mannequin in it. And there's a bunch of other mannequins. Yes. In the entranceway. Yeah. And I started freaking the fuck out because that is some scary shit. And it, I thought that it was going to go into a totally different direction. World. Like if he, if he oh starts going to that store, we're into a different episode. Here. It feels like you could absolutely be in a different episode at that point. Yes. But, but he kind of just walks in, he shouts again and he walks out and the emptiness is sort of unsettling and you, and the score kind of like is depicting that everything is just more unnerving that you can't figure out where everyone is at and like what's going on. So there, so there's a phone booth, which I don't think we need to explain what a phone booth is unless we want to do the old, <laughs> oh, you see, kids, back in my day. Oh, back oh, oh. in my like, day. I think people are smart enough to kind of know phone booths were a thing before cell phones and towns would have them all over the place. I would hope so. He decides to go and, or, oh, no, no, no. He doesn't decide to, like, call someone. The phone starts it to starts ring. It starts to ring. Which is, again, even creepier. So he runs to answer the phone because he's he's trying to find someone. And it's just an operator. It's just, you know. It's like a recording. A yeah, it's, it's a just recording, a recording on another end. And he's trying to tell the operator, like, I'm trying to find somebody. I'm trying to find somebody. Yeah. Hello? Hello? And, and it's just a recording. So he he gets frustrated. Now, this is what I didn't understand. He shuts the door behind him. And I get that that's probably like a reflex for anyone back then. You would just shut the door behind you to to the phone booth. But it's not like anybody outside of the phone booth is going to listen to your conversation. Well, I mean, I guess it's because the door folds. So, like, it would be a little uncomfortable having it open. No, I don't know. I maybe I don't know. You, you lose a little bit of space, but but I thought it was weird that he was. I, I it has to just be a, a, a normal reflex. reflex. Yeah. And he desperately pleads with the recording. I mean, who hasn't desperately pled with a customer service line, right? Yeah, like, just hit zero. I've a shouted times. at a, a customer service line. Like <laughs> I've said the same thing. I'm pretty sure I've said this same. I think we talked about this. That he said verbatim. Yeah, we talked about it on our our small soldiers episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, this is just another example where I've just been like desperately like, I'm just trying to find somebody. I'm just I trying just to find want, anybody. I just want a human. Please give me a human. <laughs> <laughs> I have said that to the computer before. Please just give me a human. Just give me a human. <laughs> when he's when he's in the phone booth, they do this close up on his face, which I think is supposed to show like claustrophobic. There's a lot of good cinematography work in this episode. And I don't know if that's that's due to the director Stevens or you know, they were just testing some stuff or they, this kind of stuff was done a lot back then. Right. But I don't know if it was done a lot for television back then and folks at home let me know. But it is just this like zoom in on his face and you can just kind of see like he's getting he's getting more freaked out as these events happen to him. And it's in really good HD. You see stubble on his <laughs> yeah. face. It, like, is, it does look it's... really good. They did a good job of redoing, like, or I guess, like, refining these. I think they, at least I think they did that with the... They had to. There's no to. way. Yeah, there's no way. that. I mean, film film is better than digital when it comes to details like that, but it just, it looks really good. For it to come up that uh, way on our TVs, it would, it would have to be redone. And I'll give credit to the actor here, too, because... Rachel, I remember you and I watched this episode with each other 
mm-hmm. for the first time, like years ago. And I remember we felt it. We felt like it, it was creepy. It was. Because we didn't know what was going to happen. No. And like you, the tension is just building and building. And yes. it just keeps getting worse and worse. But Earl Holloman, who is the actor who plays, we end up learning his name is Mike Ferris at, at some point during the episode. His face here is perfect too, because it is just so desperate. It does. He does look like very desperate, very anxious, like overwhelmed by everything that's happening. You can just kind of like feel it emanating off of him. His eyes just look a little wild. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. His eyes look wild. He tries to get the door open to get out of the phone booth and he can't get it open right away and he starts to freaking panic. And Oh my god, um, yeah, like he got trapped in there. Yeah, so and, and I liked that too. One, it's foreshadowing. And two, like, I would do the same thing, even if it was, if I wasn't in a panic. Just that feeling of you can't get out of a small area. Yep. Is that it was really good. Right. Eventually he is able to get it open and he sees like a police department. So he decides to go check out the police department. And again, there's no one there and he's walking around, but he sees a cigarette or like a a freshly put out cigarette. I think, it's just, I think it's like just it's just sitting. Still, I think it's, it's like lit and it's still like just sitting on the edge. Like if somebody was smoking it, they just set it down for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's still smoking. They didn't like light it. They didn't like, yeah, they didn't like, You're right. like, you know, push it down. I don't, you know, sit, I don't smoke. So, but I'm pretty sure it's just like sitting there <laughs> as if somebody just like dropped it without putting it out. And he's, he's trying to keep light. He, he picks up like the radio thing. Oh yeah. He Maybe makes he's a hoping joke. that. Maybe he's hoping that because they don't recognize him on his end, they'll be like, you know, who is this? Why right. are you on and this And then come, come running, like, why are you in here? Yeah. I think that might be a part of it, but he, at least, yeah, he is still, like, trying to make a joke. Ha ha ha, like, okay, come get me. Someone come right, help. Right. <laughs> right. It's, uh, it, you know, very akin to... Um different things nowadays where somebody tries to get arrested on purpose to like save get saved yeah. like in uh, happy death day <laughs> that that happens in, oh in yeah it does so he he wishes he could shake this crazy feeling he's being watched and listened to mm-hmm. but he has this feeling that he's being watched and he's being listened to but he can't quite understand why you know i kind of again like it, i don't know you you kind of feel like you know, are you being watched and listened to? Right. While you're watching the show. It's, again, it's like this just, it, it makes you feel tense while you're watching it. He, he goes in the cells because he, like, he hears something in one of the cells. Right. And in one of the cells is shaving cream, yep. the old timey, like, brush that you put on oh, your yeah, face yeah, to yeah. shave. One of those big brushes. Which I, which I still think, you, you know, would come in handy now. Like, I feel like... I think I they like still use it in some places. Be, like, if I went to, like, an old-timey barber to have it done. Yeah. I think if you might, went to, like, a like, barber. Yeah. I mean, I have... I, I may or may not have facial hair, but I have not ever done a straight razor. I, you know... Like, someone else do a straight razor for you, or have you ever I've gotten a one? straight razor. I've had the girl who cuts my hair at the place where I go, she, sometimes they'll be like, oh, do you want the back of your neck shaved? Ah. And and if I'm feeling, you know, if I'm feeling, you know, uh, r- risky, I guess or, that's risky or dangerous, I'll, dangerous uh, I'll, I'll be like, you know, oh yeah, put it on there. And they put like a hot towel on there and then they like, 
put the cream on and like shave it. It's an awesome little feeling. So I could imagine <laughs> like, ooh. Yeah, I, I, I may or may not have a beard as well. But you know, when I shave with that's a true. straight razor. <laughs> on my legs uh <laughs> i understand that nice like feeling. women shave not every day <laughs> he's in there he's try he, he the shaving equipment's there which again someone was here someone is here right at this point i was kind of thinking like is it ghosts what is what is this right is it um, like a apocalypse world like what's happening well, and it gets even creepier because he's standing in the cell and the door. Oh my god, that gave me chills. Behind him, yeah, that is terrifying. Because like, if that door closes, he's fucking stuck there too. That gave me chills. I seeing the cell door start to move. He oh, and out, they do it, and it's like they do it really well too because they don't show you the door; they just have the shadow. Yes, and then all of a sudden he goes like across. And it's yeah. just like, oh my god, that gave me chills. Goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like in this world where you can't find a human and now you're trapped in a cell, that's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah, he'd be done. He'd be done. He does manage to get on the other side of the cell, though, before it closes. So he's, he's not locked in the cell. Right. He runs out of there. He looks directly into the camera and he goes, where is everybody? And before we go to a commercial break, um, which is very old time TV, I thought, because like most of the time now you don't have your characters look at the camera or acknowledge that there's a fourth wall there unless it's. Yeah, they're not really supposed to like look directly at the camera and then they look direct and it feels like they're looking at you and asking you where the hell is everybody? I, I mean, I could see, I, I, maybe we should bring that back. I don't know. Thinking about different television shows that are on now, like, if you had, like, what's a, what's a popular show nowadays? Like, if you had, um, Eleven, just stare, like, turn at the screen and go, like, I don't know, sometimes it's just Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. And then the episode ended. I, it wouldn't work. It, it, it would, yeah, like, don't look at me sure. like that. Wait, it's and, just like, like, you gave me this weird Or she doesn't you gave say me this anything, weird look. Right? They just, like, yeah. look at the camera for a second. Yeah. And then That's look away. even creepier. Like, yeah. they just, it's like it they're looking you look, at you. It makes you look like, like you're, like, possessed. Eh. Yeah. I mean, you get, you do get it in horror movies and, like, Blumhouse oh, yeah. movies, especially. Where, like, like, the last shot for it to go, like, nah! or, like, whatever, and, like, like, dude, like the, the final jump, jump scare. scare, yeah, yeah, because they're making you focus on something else, and that's why right, they do right. That, they're just but... they're just trying to startle you. Yeah, but it is startling. They did understand that that does make you feel unnerved to have someone on the TV screen look at you. But right. That's why we don't do it. Right. Or, or it's only supposed to be done for a specific effect. Right. So we come back from a commercial break, and I wrote down that uh, it was kind of surprising that he doesn't go into the church he hears yeah. the church bells that so like again too. like everything else in the story like once when he hears something or he suspects people might be there he, he, he goes, goes to, to it. it but he doesn't go in the church and i could not for the life of me figure out if that was intentional on the show's part of some sort of commentary it may or like have been some sort of backstory that was there like right. i couldn't figure it out yeah i mean we could try to analyze that but 
I mean, there's like yeah, there's I mean, so they... many different ways you could go with the fact that he didn't go into that church. One, maybe it's he is worried he is dead. He's dead. And if he goes yeah. to the church, you know, then he's like crossing over. Exactly. Yeah. See, like I got so, goosebumps just thinking about that. I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like <laughs> you get goosebumps thinking about things like that. But like that could be one of the reasons that he doesn't go to the church. That's like, good too because he because he looks at it. And he walks away from it. And it makes him nervous. It's kind of like a, oh, I don't know. It's like calling me. I don't think I should go over there. Right. And I doubt that it would be something where it's like anti-religion. Because we'll get into episodes where Serling is... Religious. He was born Jewish. (laughs) He he turned turned some sort. I can't remember what it was for his wife. Folks at home, let me know what it was. His wife was some form of Christianity. And he he became it so that they could get married in the church. But... Mm -hmm. He was a he he's not anti-religious. There's shows that are very pro pro-religion, and it's not like you get away with being having like a real like a against the church message message in 1959 anyway. But I think your interpretation is probably right, Rachel. Where it's like he thinks maybe he's dead, and like that or like in just limbo. Confirm it. Yeah, which yeah. like again, like that even makes it even. I mean, it's very human, though, right? Yeah. If there is bad news, even if you're really curious and you're really unsettled and you're really nervous, if you think it might be bad, you avoid it still. Yes. <laughs> so, like, he's like he does. He wants to know the answer, but if it's bad, he kind of wants to avoid like, it. Well, let's let's say it's not that. Let's move over here and see if it's these things first. Let's go to the let's go to this drugstore first. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm gonna get myself a soda. Can I get a soda with ice cream? Yeah, he just keeps going. He's very hungry. Well, he eats a lot in this episode. He, yeah, that's true. I'm gonna give the this show credit. I mean, obviously, I'm giving this show credit because it, we are talking about it, and it's 60 years old, but. <laughs> This is a TV show that's 25 minutes long, and it's mostly one guy Yep, walking around, talking to himself occasionally. Right. And it keeps your interest the entire time. It really does. Now, I don't know if that just says something about us or people that like the, the show, but I you couldn't do that now. They wouldn't let you do this now. I don't think. I, don't, I mean, I don't maybe know. there's episodes of the new Twilight Zone or, or Black Mirror that do. Yeah. We'll have to f- see. But, because I haven't watched a lot of Black Mirror because, again, like, it, it just depresses me. Yeah. But... <laughs> I'll have to go back to watching some of it. <laughs> I give the show a lot of credit because it, it does really, like, make it, you know, it, it keeps your attention. It keeps you going. It keeps you wanting to know what's going on. So he goes into this drugstore, and he gets a Sunday. He asks everybody if he wants a Sunday, and he starts talking to himself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And it's a little, it's a little, it's definitely a, a, a writer's device to get like some exposition out to talk to himself in the mirror. But I, I but it's fine. Well, you know, for... well, the thing was is if he doesn't know who he is either, this is the first time he's seeing himself. He's seeing himself. That's true. Yeah. Because so, he does kind of say, like, you you look familiar, but I can't figure out who... You, I don't remember the name. Right. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, I put in my notes here, I don't know, I'd get by. I don't know exactly what I was talking about, but I think eating the Sunday by yourself in an empty drugstore in an empty world, that seemed, uh, like, peaceful to me. 
I, I don't know. Folks at home, let me know. But I think, you know. I don't know. Is, is he weird? Is he weird to say that? I don't know. Because I kind of feel the same way, in a sense. But I also talk to yeah. myself all the time when I'm alone. So <laughs> That episode of The Simpsons where Homer is in the theater by himself after the world ended. And we'll get to the theater in this in a minute, too. Mm-hmm. Which, the theater that Homer's in is not from this, but it could be. Because, like, they could have been combining Omega Man in this. Heaven. I want I want my theater to myself, but I just don't want to go to a nine o'clock showing on like a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> so he basically tells the guy in the mirror himself that he quotes Ebenezer Scrooge. He quotes Christmas Carol because he, he's trying to convince himself that like he just ate something bad and like this is just a weird dream that he's having because he he's having like a nightmare from okay from eating something bad. I don't remember him he, quoting it. Yeah, he says something. I I, can't, I don't remember the line from Christmas Carol, but it's like, you know, you're just a bad piece of cheese or like a di- undigested piece of meat or something like that. Okay. Which is which is the line from Christmas Carol? I didn't realize that. Okay. Isolation is such a theme on this show. It comes up again, and we'll talk about it again shortly on our journey a few times in these first mm-hmm. handful of episodes. But it really does, like, again, I just thought, man, it really is like a COVID world. Yes, a quarantine world, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they're all in quarantine. It could be. And, like, like they all had to the... be, like, but grabbed this and nuclear... run and be in quarantine. Yep. This would have been the nuclear panic. They could all be in quarantine. Um, so he gets another hint of what could be going on because it's a drugstore and a drugstore in the 50s had like a bar and it had pharmaceuticals and it had books and shit. It had a bunch of different stuff in it and it has a bunch of books and he starts spinning the racks on the books and he spins one of the racks and there's a bunch of copies of a book called The Last Man on Earth. Mm-hmm. And you can tell he gets more concerned because now he's thinking, oh shit, am I the last, am man? I the last man on earth? So he kind of runs out of the store. Right. So he's, time passes. I think there's another commercial break. So now it's night and he's just sitting in the park. He doesn't know what what else to do. He's just playing like tic-tac-toe with himself, mm-hmm. which sounds like fun. Um, <laughs> and all the lights turn on because like it's that time of night. Right. So the lights and like in automatic the turn on. lights. Yeah. And the theater lights turn on. Wait, you hear that? Okay. Never mind. I don't know what that was. So the theater lights come on. There's a theater in the town, and he decides to go check it out because you know it's it you know a little brighter and lighter. There's a movie called Battle Hymn mm-hmm. playing. It stars Rock Hudson and Martha Heyer. I've heard of Rock Hudson before. I, I don't know if I've heard of Martha Heyer. I'm sure I have seen sure. something with her in it. But the poster has a guy that's dressed like him, and he realizes he's an Air Force pilot. In fact, he runs in a theater going, Air Force. Yeah. I'm in the Air Force! Yeah, he just... Hey, everybody! Yeah, he wants to tell somebody that he figured something out. Air Force. Air Force. I'm Air Force. Air Force. I'm in the Air Force! I'm in the Air Force! Hey, I'm in the Air Force! I'm in the Air Force! Hey, everybody, I'm in the Air Force! But of course, the theater is empty, and he doesn't quite know what it means that he's in the Air Force. Like, he's like, okay, Air Force. But what does that mean? Right. Like, what does it mean that I'm in the Air Force? 
And and the theater empty again. I know that's not where The Simpsons got this, but that's what I remembered. Or like, there's other movies and stuff where they have like empty theaters for sure. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure is is kind of a trope, but this is you know that an un- another unsettling thing. And while he's in the theater empty, so he realizes he remembers that being part of the Air Force means that there could have been a bomb. Yep. But he he reckons that it wasn't a bomb because nothing's destroyed. Sure. So it wasn't a bomb. So like I think he I think that's to try to reassure himself. Or at least the bomb didn't go off. Yeah. Right. But I think that's to try to reassure himself that he's not the last man on Earth. Like that. Like his first thought is, oh shit! Like a bomb went off. Maybe I delivered it. Oh. Okay. And like the plane crashed, and like now I don't know who I am. Yeah trademark that that i'll write that little side story (laughs) that's trademark shelf life as he's thinking that the movie starts and you hear that like projection noise Mm -hmm. that which is like with the film noise yeah so it's like all weird noise anyway um that we don't hear anymore and it's a it's like a film of like planes going off which i was wondering like is that another foreshadowing and he runs to the projection booth yep because he's like, well, somebody has to be, somebody has to be up there it. controlling it. A thing wouldn't have turned on. And he gets up there, and we get a POV shot of him trying to look in, oh. which is really weird because oh, it's like an yeah. old like, camera looking in, right? And there's nothing there, which we can't really see because the lights in his face. But but you, you get the idea that there's nobody in there, right? So he runs down, and you see him kind of running towards the from left to right on the screen. And then suddenly he crashes into a mirror and falls. And that made me jump the first time I saw it. Right. Yep. That was actually beautifully done. <laughs> like that was because you're already kind of in a panic and you don't think that something's like that's going to happen because of the fact it's a TV show from 1959. Mm-hmm. But the, the mirror breaks and you're like, oh, it was a trick shot. Like you were seeing him in the mirror run toward the mirror. Right. So very, very well done. And then he he leaves the theater, and now we get a bunch of Dutch angles. For those of you that do not know, a Dutch angle is when the camera is tilted like sideways, almost like a 45-degree angle. So you're like kind of on the sidewalk, kind of like going up, and it's supposed to make you feel unnerved and, and un- paranoid. Un- yeah, and unbalanced. Yes. It sets un- you unbalanced. Yeah, probably, that's probably what it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. unbalanced. But he's just kind of like running through town. It, he hugs a light pole and he starts pressing the cross button. That's like the button to like let you walk across the street. And he just keeps going like, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Mm-hmm. And he just keeps saying that. And suddenly we cut to a group of generals, colonels, some sort of like military, military Air Force military, who is watching him. And, and one guy tells him, like, get him out of there. Get him out of there. Yep. Get him out of there. And it turns out he was in a box yep. being monitored. He broke a clock on the wall that was in the box. So that's like the egg timer that that broke. So that must have been, you know, in entering the subconscious. And, and he basically passes out. So the rest of the crew, like, get him out of there. Right. They him, they have, it's like, kind of like, like, like a pod. And then they have him, like, wired in and everything. It's very small. It's like a right. one man yeah, like, like seating. It's like a like a seat. It's like literally yeah. if you were like in a um a simulator game and it's like you're inside of it. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess it is kind of like a simulator game. Do you know what I thought it remi- what it reminded me of? Mm-hmm. So we, 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 well, let me, let me say this first. So he passes out. They start unhooking him. They're happy that they were able to compile all this data. And then they're like, let in the press. And I thought it was hilarious. Like, I this is definitely something that the Simpsons have used. And I'm sure it's in other stuff from this era where like uh, like 20 people from the press just run Oh my the God, room. yes. <laughs> like all these guys in suits are just like, <laughs> and they just start talking and they're like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the press is walking and they're walking and talking. They basically say like his commanding officer says he cracked. Uh, he was having some sort of delusions after a while right and we get our message about like if you were confined to a two foot by two foot box you'd be you'd get freaked out too for, but I, for like, 96 hours i was gonna say yeah it was more than 96 hours wasn't it like 96 days oh yeah it was like two two weeks it was two weeks yeah oh so it, he was only in there for two weeks i thought yes, it was, was way longer weeks. than that for some reason okay <laughs> he made he made it two weeks like they were like happy that he was able to make it two weeks right and what it reminds me of, it, and I don't know if this is if they did this as an homage to this episode because it's similar in, in theme. It's similar in theme and in execution. Mm-hmm. The story is different, and that is the episode of Recess, which we will do one day. Yes, called the box. Yes, I remember the they box. They referred to this as a box. Yes, and they, and in the in Recess, it's called the, the box. box. And the box in recess is, it's a punishment device where it's like a little two by two foot square. I think they even say that. I I don't remember the dimensions exactly. Folks at home, I'm sure you're going to correct me. (laughs) But TJ has to go stand in a box and he's not allowed to leave it during recess. And he, he cracks. I mean, the the line from that, that, I mean, you and I still quote Rachel, TJ's good boy, good boy, TJ be a good boy. (laughs) I mean, we'll do it one day, but, like, do you think that was a homage I think to it, this? I, it's got to be. Or, 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 like, a common theme must be this. It may be like a common theme. A yeah. But the, it could have taken stuff from this, because I bet there's other uh, Recess episodes that do definitely take stuff Oh, there's definitely from... Recess episodes that do. And now I have to go back and watch them all. <laughs> <laughs> No, Re- Recess is up there with some of the better stuff that t- took from higher level ideas. Yes, very we'll, clever, we'll very clever. So they get him out of there. I love that there's like 20 guys surrounding him. Nowadays, you'd be like, let the man have a freaking breath. You're like surrounding him. You're not letting him like take a minute. Right. We learned that his name is Ferris, so Mike Ferris, which which I mentioned before. And we get our overall second message, which is, and this is interesting. This is a pandemic message for all of you out there. <laughs> Not necessarily for me, but for, for most or many. We can feed them. You can provide entertainment to them, et cetera, et cetera. But you can't simulate man's hunger for companionship. Yep. You see, we can feed the stomach with concentrates. We can supply microfilm for reading, recreation, even movies of a sort. We can pump oxygen in and waste material out. But there's one thing we can't simulate. That's a very basic need. Man's hunger for companionship. The barrier of loneliness. That's one thing we haven't licked yet. 
Next time, it won't be just a box and a hanger, will it? No, Mike. Next time, you'll really be alone. The barrier for loneliness. So I said they're either trying to prepare him for a pandemic or a trip to the moon. And I think it's, I think it's to space. I bet it's a trip to space. You don't think it? No, no, it is a trip to space. I was <laughs> making a joke. I <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying. No, no, I think it's a trip to space. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean... Hell, they, they, this could have been for, like, a pandemic test, too. Like, okay, let's, well, let's, yeah, but let's you put him in the box, like... you know. Let's let's put him in the box and see how he does for a while all by well, himself. Put, put him in the box, give him a couple Blu-rays and a video yeah. game and maybe yeah. Netflix and see how he does. You know, someone can deliver food to him every once in a there while. Were definitely, there were definitely not people that lasted those two weeks. There were some people that couldn't last a day because they were protesting oh after a day of it. God, yeah. Like, I mean, it's been like 16 months and I'm getting a little bit like, huh, this is kind of sad that it's kind of, I mean, it's not sad that it's ending because it's horrible, but it is, I am kind of like, well, now I don't have an excuse to not do something. <laughs> like, I don't know. I still feel kind of isolated. <laughs> uh, but, well, have you cracked yet? Have you drawn a, uh, have you put yourself in like a submarine like box to try to prepare yourself to go to the moon? I mean no kind of. <laughs> i mean i guess uh so he kind of says when he's done he's like i'll be up there someday like talking to the moon as they right. pull him away and, and we get our final narration which is about isolation and like the empty void of space and like how that's pretty creepy too oh my god space itself will would creep me out and so does the ocean so like the vastness of the ocean creeps me out a little bit and like how deep and it is only, and like, like not yeah. being able to see anything and it's the same thing with space space is empty it's it's silent you know you don't know what's there or what's coming i mean both of those well, things at, are at, terrifying and at this time they didn't really know what they were in store for or how it would feel or if people would be okay by themselves right in space so like it, it is pulling at that like that that feeling at the time where like we wanted to conquer space mm -hmm. so it was it was on it was the great unknown yeah it's the final frontier that's the end of where is everybody the pilot episode of the twilight zone rachel we have come to that part of the show as we will after at the end of each episode where i i'll ask you does where is everybody have shelf life i think this one has shelf life uh, definitely especially with you like tying in the like the things happening now yeah with what they were were going for then you can put different parallels to it and i like that about it isolation i feel like is something that actually definitely has shelf life um <laughs> because it's always there it's always like a, a psychological thing and i think this um really hit it right on the head with how it would feel yeah, I mean, I think, um, I agree, I think this one has shelf life, but I, I think it's a super solid episode. It's It's got a really good tone. I, I think it is one of the better, probably unsung episodes of, of Twilight yes. Zone. I think I think people remember this one, but I don't think people think of it as, like, a classic classic. Right. But but I think it's it's really good. No, there's, and, there's um, like, corny parts to it, you know, or, like, little, well, like, weird yeah. things. But at the same time, it's kind of like, well, that's that's fine. The overarching... Kind of the time. Yeah, the overarching yeah. Uh, pieces to it definitely are there. I mean, 
and and one of the other themes that could even be like of today is because it is talking about isolation it could be talking about prisoners yes. or or pow's like being put into isolation mm-hmm. which that's another you know it's still a modern topic exactly so it does have a lot of discussion points and things that that can that can be talked through as you go through and on top of that i think the cinematography and mm-hmm. the acting is is good and does set a really good tone so yeah i will say i think we're both in agreement where is everybody does have shelf life if you haven't seen it go check this one out it is a, it is a good episode of twilight zone yep but we will continue to delve deeper into the twilight zone when we come back from our fake sponsor we have one for the angels here's an item we forgot you see this it holds a promise for anyone who smokes it's oasis and as its name implies it promises you the most refreshing the softest taste of all try oasis i think you'll like it and we're back hope you enjoyed that word from our 1959 sponsor we continue our i don't actually recommend using whatever our sponsor was sorry to sell but you know that's fine (laughs) i mean coincidentally neither would rod serling uh (laughs) i was telling you off off air about that there's an interview on youtube if you can go like if you just type in like rod serling interview with mike wallace it's hilarious because it's a it's the it's his interview which I've gotten some of the information that we talked about in part one, where he talks about how he hates censors and, and stuff like that. And you can tell I'm surprised he's so forthcoming because he's talking about how much he hates hated writing snake oil salesman crap for <laughs> the radio and stuff like that. And it's just like wow, he's really le- but but I think that speaks to the fact that he, at that point one he didn't care. Because he thought that he was kind of a made man. And two, that he was a radical for the time, which comes through in some of these episodes. Yeah, it does sound like he is kind of a radical. But it is funny that he also just didn't want to be like that salesman, which, you know, in this in the second episode of the Twilight series, we do have a salesman. Wow. What that is now that that is what you call a segue. That's right, people. That professionals was... yes. yes we are a professional <laughs> professional amateur podcast uh yeah so let's let's talk about this this is one for the angels from october 9th 1959 written by rod serling directed by robert Parrish. uh i've never heard of anything that he's directed he's he has directed a few of these twilight zone episodes so we'll get to a couple of different ones but he's got some different director and and actor credits but i'm not aware of any of them so maybe we'll stumble upon some more stuff directed by robert Parrish. but mm-hmm. rachel you want to give the uh the, the elevator synopsis of what we're going into in the twilight zone here with it's one for ele- the angels what's an elevator synopsis like you know like a 30 second uh what what what's it about okay i just never real i don't think i've ever heard it called that before interesting so like i was saying well uh, actually the term is elevator pitch oh it's called mm. an elevator pitch interesting considering yeah. this entire episode uh revolves around a uh a pitchman 
which is pretty much just like a traveling salesman, if, if you heard of that one. Um, they try to sell you these weird odds and ends out of like their briefcase type of thing. He's a fucking peddler. Yes, they're He's a, a peddler. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, you tell them to get the hell away from you. Yeah, like no solicitors. Um, <laughs> but... He, he sells all of his stuff, like, out on the sidewalks and everything like that. And one day he gets talked to by the supposed angel of death. And it kind of revolves around his time to die um, and actually being given a chance to, like, know when it's coming. Yeah, I, it's a story about trying to cheat death in a very one-act one stage play type of way. Yes. Let's get into it then. Um, same intro on this episode as Where Is Everybody? We're entering the fifth dimension. Or this is, there is a fifth dimension, and we call it the Twilight Zone. So same idea. But there's opening narration on this one. It actually opens up with the first shot is a toy robot to, I guess, let you know, like, we'll get to sci-fi one day. But then there's also <laughs> a shot of this eyeball, which we didn't talk about. But it's this it's a very, very similar shot to the first episode where he sees an like he, he there's an like an optometrist office or something. Yes. That the guy like backs up into and there's this big eye looking at him, so he, it's again he's thinking somebody's watching him. Right. So like I, I thought it was interesting that there was like an eyeball here. It's it's one of those little things where I feel oh, were they doing little I don't know if even if it was called an Easter egg back then, but is it kind of Easter eggs to tell you all these stories are somewhat connected. connected we're floating well, through the different universes I mean, it is the twilight zone they are right. all connected right, right. <laughs> but i do i would like it if they did add little easter eggs into each episode that you know brought them kind of cut together and we're all of a sudden you're like oh i remember like that was in that episode or like oh that same person yeah. or that name you know things like that is is right. always fun for me so that would be kind Nothing. of fun if it did actually do that yes i agree right and, I mean, and not that they would have been even been thinking of that in the 50s because it's not like they could have predicted vhs much less you know streaming services <laughs> so it maybe they just happen to have that prop on hand but i like the idea that it's all these multiverses are being connected by these little symbols mm -hmm. um, and all of those little symbols kind of connect the twilight zone together as rachel said there's some opening narration that tells us about lou bookman our main character he's he's selling toys on the street today or something like that the score is a lot lighter toned mm -hmm. because it's telling us that this is a bit of a lighter episode than the previous one which was more dreary and it tells us about lou bookman who is uh he's a fixture of the summer he's a peddler he's on the street he's He's a pitchman, is what they call him. Right. And he's commonplace on the sidewalk. The The best part is, I well, I wrote down that it's just an old man selling shit on the street. I mean, it kind That's of is. It is. <laughs> and the kids love him because he's got all these, like, trinkets and toys. and. Right, he's fun. Right. But he's going to be stalked this afternoon, a hot July afternoon. So I guess appropriate that we're doing this. A hot July <laughs> afternoon. He is stalked by Mr. Death. Dun, dun, dun. And it, there's this guy in a suit. He's standing off to the side with like a little notepad. Mm -hmm. And he stares straight into the camera. 
Yeah, they break the fourth wall with this one. So two things about the actors in this episode. Lou Bookman, who will be our main character, the old man peddler. So he's been in a lot of things. He's actually considered to be, he, he is a Disney legend. Uh, he has been given the the symbol or the honor of being a Dig- Disney legend. He was apparently beloved by Walt Disney. He was the Mad Hatter in the Alice in Wonderland cartoon in 1951. He pl- was in Requiem for a Heavyweight, which is one of Rod Serling's Emmy Award-winning episodes of television. And then he was in The Diary of Anne Frank in the 50s. He was in Babes in Toyland as the toy maker and in Mary Poppins as Uncle Albert. Are you oh, maybe I know him from Poppins. Poppins. That yeah. might be what it is. I kept, for so, some reason, in my head, I look at him and go, he looked just like the freaking Cowardly Lion. I should know who the Cowardly Lion is off the top of my head. I feel head. like I should too, and now it's going to bug me. Bert Lahr was the Cowardly Lion. But yeah, so he is in Edwin in a lot of Disney movies um, when he was an older man. And then, I keep wanting to call him Dr. Death. Mr. Death, <laughs> did you recognize him, Rachel? You've seen him in some, uh, a thing or two before. I don't. He is, he is Murray Hamilton. Yeah. And and his probably the most iconic role he has is he was the mayor in Jaws. Oh, my God. <gasps> he looks so different in Jaws, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's... <laughs> nearly 20 years later I, well that's what i mean because it's just like oh okay yeah he's a lot older in jaws yeah yeah for sure i didn't recognize him either but in looking up who the actors were i was like oh he is the mayor in jaws like you you see it once you once you think about it but right. you don't think about it because he just looks like 1950s guy yeah he really does look, look like, like just 1950 guy I mean, so does Rod but, Sterling, or Sterling, Sterling, Rod Sterling. I, yeah, Rod Sterling. Yeah, Rod Sterling does look like 1950s guy, too. Right down to the Paul Mall cigarette and the... And, and, yeah. <laughs> right. and, and all the teeth are like... Yep, that's what I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's um, great. So, what happens here is we... We get the Mr. Death is stalking him, mm-hmm. goes to a commercial, and we come back to a commercial. Lou's done for the day, and he's going up to his apartment. And all the kids in the neighborhood, they all like Lou, because like you said, he gives them, he just gives away toys. Now, he only gives away two toys. Do you think that he like rotates it? Because he gives one to Maggie, and he gives one to some other boy. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't give one. There's like eight kids there. Right. No, so I have think, a feeling like, he gives them away all the time. And so he yeah. gives like, okay, I'm going to pick two kids this week, you know, and then he just kind of goes, okay, this one and this one, and then that that one and that one gets next week or whatever, the next couple days. Yeah, but it's got to be. It, it, it Cause, only makes cause, sense. Because they all love Because otherwise, they do. They like, they like Lou. Now, you couldn't make this today because you'd be God, like, God, no, he's Lou a pedophile. To... <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Instant pedophile he's, he's profile right there. <laughs> He just he would have a weird van too that he would be selling but, stuff out of. But the <laughs> Hey kids, you want a toy robot? It's in the back of my van. Horrible. You want one you want one of these little helicopters? <laughs> it's in my van. 
Why don't you come over there and get it? I got some candy. <laughs> but I think that this, I, this I, guy, I feel like, the, no, I feel like this guy is like on the up and up. Oh no, he's on the up and up. Oh, okay, and he'd be on the up and up now too. Like no, I he, I know I know. There's probably areas in the world where you still have the the local old man that's friendly to everybody knows him. Yeah. They wave to no, him. No, you're right. You know he still you know people maybe he comes and he watches the kids play baseball. I don't know. Like there's that still has to exist somewhere where he's not you know. Oh yeah. Ew, stop. Ew, you. ew. <laughs> Don't even start with that. Lou does no, not I know. sound like I know that, what you mean, though. Oh, no. Lou, is, Lou to Lou me, sounds, sounds like the cowardly lion, but, you know. <laughs> well, he should sound like the Mad Hatter to you. He, That's yeah. not the Mad Hatter. No, yeah, you know you're that. right. Yeah, that too. But, like, they both have, like, that lisp, and they kind of, like, talk like that to me, so. <laughs> yeah, it's similar. Um, I put the, the kids are doing a lot of, hey, what are you up to, Mr. Mister Lou? You yeah. got us some toys for us today. <laughs> we'll get to it. I actually don't think that Maggie's that bad of a, of a kid actor for no, 1959. she was fine. But the kids are doing like, oh, gee gosh, Mr. Lou. Oh, golly Thanks gee willikers. all the toys. <laughs> like, and it, it makes me wonder again, do, did people really act like that? Or was that what the culture thought everyone acted like i don't know if you were to take something from 2021 and show it to people 60 years from now would it look like what we were really doing or would that like you know what i mean yeah like how exaggerated like, verbiage is. and everything does change a lot and i think we do have very odd words nowadays that people use that i still don't even understand the definition of um That's because you're old. i i know i know but <laughs> I think the same thing happened back then. They had words and stuff like, oh, golly. Like, you know, people even still say that now. It, I, and sometimes it is like, oh, they actually do say the word golly for what it means or they're making fun of it. I think that was like a term that was used back then. And I do think that, you know what? They probably did act like that. I bet they did. In, in some ways. I mean, I always will point It might to, be over-exaggerated, but. We, we'll, we'll do it one day. One of my favorite 1950s B-movies, I Was a Teenage Werewolf. <gasps> oh, yeah. The point where the main character says to a cop, it just bugs me. People just bug me. And the cop goes, oh, yeah, sure. Use your jive talk. Because <laughs> he, he said it bugs him. Right. Um, but that's what I'm saying, you know. Right. You right. know, you just got to yeet it. Isn't that a thing now? You yeet things. Right. I'm older than that's you. Actually probably, that's why. actually probably an old term now. Because I think it's more of like Folks a... at home, I don't know if Rachel just said a, a, a slur. <laughs> I don't know what... <laughs> I can't even think of another word. It's the only one that came to mind. I know. I can't think of any either. Because I don't use them that much. I don't uh, use them ever. Hello, fellow kids. Yes, Look, children. We just lost, we just lost the whole under 20 demographic. No, they love it. They, they, they're just making fun of us now. It's great. They're laughing. Laugh away. That's fine. You're gonna be Laugh us one day, bastards. <laughs> if uh, if we ever have to come out with a G-rated version of Shelf Life because we want to get more ad revenue or whatever, I'll start saying. Go Rachel will replace all of my swearing with golly and G Willikers. 
Oh yeah, um, and they it'll sound they, like Millhouse. <laughs> well, yes, <It'll, laughs> definitely. What is what uh, is the one? What is that? What does it sound like? The radioactive Jiminy man. Jillikers. Jimmy G- Jiminy Jillikers. Jimmy G- Jiminy Jillikers. Jiminy Jillikers. Is <laughs> I can't even say it. Yeah. Yes, it's exactly what I was going for. Jiminy Jillikers. Thank you. <laughs> so anyway, Lou goes up to his. <laughs> I thought hilariously later he calls it his room. He refers to it as like, I've been living in this room for 25 years. Yeah. I was like, that's fun that you live in a room. <laughs> well, it probably is just like a, a studio apartment. Yeah, la- yeah. I mean, yeah, he doesn't have like a family or anything. He's just this local pitchman. And the 50s, no, don't, let, don't let anybody fool you. The 50s sucked. Nobody had shit. <laughs> they, they all could get free education in a house and all that kind of stuff. But, you know. They they really weren't. Don't let them. Don't let them fool you. So no, I would imagine it's kind of a tough time. He's unpacking his stuff, and he notes that there's a man sitting in a chair across the way in the room. And I like the fact that since it is the fifties, he just asks him does if he wants to buy something. <laughs> I mean, you're like, in my house. That's fine. Do you want to buy something? Is that why you're here? Is that yeah, why you like, broke into my uh, apartment? It's not total shock nope. like it would be for me. It's not, holy hell, oh, God, I'm calling I would be, the police. I would have left. The second I saw somebody into my apartment, I would have been like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm going to call the police. Lou's just like, oh, well, would you like to buy something? I'm doing more of the Mad Hatter <laughs> than what he actually sounds like. Who do you in sound this? Like he doesn't. He though. sounds pretty normal in this. You sound like the character from Wreck-It Ralph, uh... Yeah, that's what he's character. That character is doing a parody of Oh, is oh the Mad Hatter. Hatter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's doing a parody of that voice. Okay. Yeah. There you go, folks. Pure (laughs) pure accuracy on my impression of Edwin's Lou Bookman's Mad Hatter King Candy. I was able to I was able to make a connection to Wreck It Ralph's King Candy. So if we can get Folks at home, if you can do like a six, uh, if you can do six, what is it? Six uh, separation that game. If you can do six degrees of six Kevin degrees. Bacon from, I will give you either King Candy <laughs> or Edwin. I, I'd rather have you do it from Edwin to Kevin Bacon, just just to see what we can what we can come up with. That sounds exciting. Just just, just tweet at the. I'm sure Rachel will set up some sort of or or you know send it into the mailbag. <laughs> So anyway, he asks this guy if he wants to buy anything, and Death, I'm just going to refer to him as Death, he starts to kind of just like, no, Mr. Buckman, I actually have some, you know, things to run down with you. So he he starts running down Lou's life. He was, I thought, I wrote down, oh, Jesus, he was born in 1890. (laughs) And that makes... And that's okay for this timeline. That makes sense. It makes that sense. An old man yes. was born in 1890, and I was like, "Good lord!" Because <laughs> I yeah, you to have go to back, it into, it's kind of into perspective. It's kind of weird, yeah. And, and Edwin was actually born in 1886, so that that still is in there. It's like, oh Jeez. my god. So he goes through kind of like his life story, and the guy's mm-hmm. kind of like, "How do you do all that?" And then Death informs him that he is going to make his departure at midnight tonight. Well, uh, so here's, bo- the, here's the stupid thing, though. This this mm-hmm. this Death character just expects okay. him to know what that means. 
well you have your departure at, at midnight it's like what are you talking about i don't even know who you are that i don't know why you're in my apartment yeah. and you're saying that there's some sort of departure at midnight thanks well, <laughs> seen, death seems to be a little i mean i'm sure it's a very it's very tiring job and i'm sure that he is sick of having to explain this to every person but he is kind you think of death uh, enjoys his job I, I mean, I don't know. D- doesn't he seem a little like... Do you uh, think there's just... multiple angels, though, of death? Or do you think it's just one angel of death and he answers to the hierarchy of angels? Well, if it's... If it's <laughs> like St. Saint, Saint Peter... So do you think his direct supervisor is St. Peter? Or do you think he's got... Like, there is a death <laughs> and he's just one of the deaths. Well, I'm thinking that there's a... There is a death, right? The angel of death. And then he uh-huh. has his little angel minions that he sends out to do, you know. So he, so this is just like a, this is just some like guy. No, no, no. This he's is still just like a. No, he's an angel of death. He is a angel yeah, of death. Okay, he's not the guy. I don't know he's if he's. The, I don't think death. he's the death. So he's just another salesman too. He should have a little <laughs> bit of sympathy. Well, from one salesman to the other. Yeah. So like, have a little bit of sympathy. I don't know. It could also be a Santa Claus situation where he's everywhere. At yes, the same time. right. And he's just giving you a face that you uh, feel more comfortable with. Which I could understand that Bookman, that this guy, so now he's a little put off because Bookman's get you know, giving him a hard time. But, but to your point, like, why would anybody believe that he's death right away? Right. I mean, you didn't Unless even explain they're... it. He didn't even say who he is. He just said, okay, I know all this stuff about yeah, you and your departure is yet. at midnight. All right, cool. Uh, where am I going? Are we going to to, uh, to the Bahamas to to Fiji or whatever? I don't She's know. Because the Zandu Nation, <laughs> or no, not Zandu, Zulu, Zandu. But before he he can question what his what that means, what his departure means, Maggie walks in and she says that one of the toys is broken. It's like a little toy robot. Mm-hmm. She's just she was just playing with it wrong, I guess. But he fixes it for her. And he's like, oh, you, this this guy over here is asking me a bunch of questions. And Maggie's like, what guy, Lou? Is this and a this... game? Well, <laughs> oh, hello, sir. And then she just... <laughs> I thought it was fine. She's like, adorable. for what she's being asked. Like, <laughs> right? I thought it was like, all right. Oh, are we playing a game? <laughs> yeah, because it's like, oh, oh, Lou. It's just, just so you. <laughs> Which I guess there's also a standing like, after dinner, he like, lets them play with his unsold merchandise right. or something. Yeah, is that kind of what you gathered from that too? Because he was like, "I'll see you all after dinner." Yeah, it sounded like they get to like play with all the toys after, after food. Maybe that's why he gave them. Here's just a couple that you guys get to play with, but then you get the rest of them after dinner. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it was. I don't know, but yeah, it seems like he he's planning to go back out there. Or, or back outside or like give the kids something else to do or he just he he clearly cares for the children that i guess live in the neighborhood or live in the same building right as he does so maggie leaves and death is basically like she can't see me mr bookman the only people that can see me are the people that are coming with me right or or that i'm here to take with right. me it's at this point and i am about to say something that you may this may cause you to see observe too much into the episode. It's one of those things like where once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. Um, okay. So 
I'm about to say it, so skip ahead like a minute and a half if you don't want to hear this part. And then, and then I, when I looked it up, I realized why I was seeing it, and, and I'll say that too. Ed Wynn, as Lou Bookman, is shaking a lot. Did you notice that? I thought he was just nervous. So I wondered that too. Or I was like, have... oh, is this like a, is this a character, character trait, like a character choice, mm-hmm. an actor's choice? Um, because it would make sense. Like, but he's you know, shaking an awful lot. So I, I found that uh, Brad Serling actually went to an Edwin Memorial from the Parkinson's, American Oh Parkinson's. my God, really? So I think he, I, I couldn't, it wasn't in Edwin's wiki, but because I was able to find, they did something at like a Parkinson's research in his yeah. honor after he died in 1966, that I think he has Parkinson's. Well, that would make sense. But like the way he moved around and the still... way he was using it for the character... I yeah. thought it was just a part of the character as well. Which makes you kind of root for him more. Yes. <laughs> like, knowing that. Because even, if, cause even if, if you want to make it so that the character had that, or the real-life man had it, one, he's acting his ass off, and yeah, he would be acting his ass off until he died with Parkinson's in the 60s when there probably wasn't as much knowledge about right. how to treat that condition. There's not a lot of knowledge as we record this about how to treat that condition. Mm-hmm. Once I noticed, I was like, is he doing that on purpose? Because obviously now, because we can see it in Blu-ray quality, you, you pick up on that little thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, an interesting little note, but I did find that out about him. So keep that in your back pocket if you go back and watch the episode. So he's trying to f- go back and after Maggie leaves as to like, what what's going on here? And death has moved his place he's now sitting in a new place in the room and that's when he tells him that only those that accompany him can see him and then that's when it clicks for lou because he's like well if maggie didn't see you then the only like he realizes he's supposed to die Mm -hmm. and he gets a little peeved as you would when you find out that you're supposed to die and he basically (laughs) starts arguing with him and I love, and I want to call someone this one day. I want to call someone a devious sort, a because devious sort. he's like, now listen, you. I find you to be a devious sort, <laughs> and you're dishonest. <laughs> it's such a like a quaint way of telling someone to go fuck off. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It really is. But death proves to him that he is death. He he kind of death gets a little annoyed. He's like, I can't believe I have to like do this every time. Like this is stupid. So well, he then maybe him. talk to them well the first time you come in. Jeez, your departure's um, at midnight. I I can't get over that. It's like okay, he is a busy angel, Rachel. <laughs> he has shit to do. Yeah, we'll explain it better than the first time around. <laughs> He might have been going into the pitch. Oh, death that's true. A, Maybe really he was death. starting a his pitch. Yeah. Yeah, he was starting his pitch. And frickin' Maggie interrupted him with a stupid true. little robot. That's why he picked her. Don't call her stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Maggie's cute. So death touches a flower and the flower wilts to prove that he is death great special effect on this flower it's beautiful it's it's clearly a stage hand behind the thing moving the flower forward (laughs) i thought it was really fun they probably had it on a string oh yeah that's probably what it was it was on a string (laughs) so lou fights back he's like i'm healthy i don't want to go and i'm healthy 
Uh, so he's like, there's no reason for me to go. Mm-hmm. And and Death doesn't care. Death's like, you're on my list. You're going. That's the way this works. There is no bargaining here. Right. But he does tell him that there are conditions for appeal, which I wonder if this applies to real life too. We'll never know until we're about to die, which probably means that it would, you know. Get, you know, folks at home, if you're able to write us into the mailbag and you're like, oh, by the way, you can make an appeal. I <laughs> <But> won. <laughs> I got an appeal. Basically, the appeal is you, ha- your family would uh, like struggle if you were to be gone. And he's like, oh, I don't have a family. And then you have to be on the verge of discovery of something. So it's like if, if you're a scientist or an inventor or something mm-hmm. and you're on the verge of something that's going to be like monumental or change the world. But he just fiddles around with all of his toys and crap, so that's that doesn't count either. Right. And then the third one is unfinished business of a major nature. And I'm thinking here, like, Lou, Lou starts trying to come up with, like, crap. And I'm thinking, like, dude, just go big. Maybe he'll take it. Right. You've got to think of something. You're a salesman. You can think of something good. Right. You BS all the time. <laughs> he comes up with a pretty bad one where he now i think he's thinking it's good because he's like i'm never gonna leave the country i want i need to go see a zulu war dance (laughs) so i need to get over to that zulu country and i'm assuming he's talking about somewhere he really wants to travel yeah yeah but but so he's like you know you're gonna have to give me a few years to get over there but death's like no come on man that's stupid so that's what that's what Lou thinks he can come up with. Lou does eventually, though, like because he's trying to come up with another one. He tells him the truth, and he well, he sort of tells him the truth. I think we'll talk about. No, this. I bet I bet he does tell the truth here. But go on. So he tells him that he wants to make a big pitch, a one for the angels. And I was thinking, oh my god, is this going to break into, like, one of those MST3K shorts about selling bread? Like, like it just felt one of those where it's it's going to break into, like, this, oh, you see, I'm going to make Lou Bookman the best chicken salesman in the country. That's what it felt like it could, it could turn into. But he tells him that he wants to make a big, big pitch for the angels. Right. That, that's what he wants. And death is kind of like... That's not good enough. Lou gets a little disappointed, and Death's like, "All right, does it really mean that much to you?" And and he says yes, and Death decides to give him the extension. He kind of sells Death here a little mm-hmm. bit. Well, there is one thing. What is it, Mister Bookman? Well, between you and me, I, I never made a truly big pitch. I mean, I mean a a big pitch. A pitch big enough to, for the skies to open up. You know, a, a, a pitch for the angels. Of course, that wouldn't mean very much to you, but it would mean a great deal to me. It would mean that for one moment in my whole life, I would have done something successful. It would mean that maybe, that maybe the children would be very proud of me. The children? Yes, yes. I've always had quite a fondness for children, you know. Yes, that's, that's all here in the record. Problem here, Mr. Bookman, is that you'd require a delay until... Uh... Until I make a pitch. You know, the kind of pitch I was talking to you about there. One for the angels, you mean. That's right. One for the angels. Now, I don't think he really wants to make a big pitch. 
I think what he really wants is to make the children proud of him. And he says that when, when he's telling him he wants right. to make a big pitch. He's like, something the children will be proud of. Right. And I think and that's I think all he that can... is the truthful part of it. And I think he yeah. sees the children as his angels. Oh. Oh. Yeah, let's get a little corny <laughs> here. But yeah. This so is a very right. corny episode. I think I think you are right that it, he isn't it isn't one for like the angels in the sky. It's more like his children that he gets to be around and make happy. He wants to do it well, for them. Is that what you're saying? I Yeah. Well, I I think it I think he wants I think all he can think of, because he's a very simple man, all he has is a pitchman, is all he can think of is leaving a lasting mark so that the children would be proud of him. Mm-hmm. And that's and remember making him. a big sale or like doing something that they'd remember him by. That's kind of all he wants. And so I think, yeah, I think that you're taking the metaphor. I mean, we don't know. That could be the metaphor Rod Serling's going for or the parable or whatever. I think it probably is. It's a mess. I think that is the message. At the end of the day, I was thinking then is death setting him up? Mm-hmm. Does death kind of put all this in motion so that spoiler alert at the end of this, he, he sacrifices himself. And in that way, the children are proud of him because he sacrifices himself for them. Well, no, I, I, I had that thought too. I kind of was like, wait, is he letting him do this? And we'll see what happens later. Yeah. But I'm wondering if it's a very faded type of thing. Like, no, this was going to happen. This is the way it was supposed to happen. You know, mm. like this is the way I was going to take you with me. Is mm. is together. Mm. And and the and when we get to the end too, like there's a couple of scenes where I think Death is playing it up. So so we'll talk about that in a second. Because what happens is Death gives him an extension, and. He's like, great, well, it'll be a few years before I make this pitch, you know, uh, you know, we'll come back in a few years, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do some more selling. And he basically shoves Death out the door and Death's like, Mr. Bookman, are you, uh, are you tricking me? Are you trying to trick me? And he's like, well, goodbye, and slams the door in his face. <laughs> and then he's like, I'm never going to sell something ever again. Yeah, I'm never selling anything, and I was <laughs> tricking you, you bastard. And... <laughs> Because Death realizes he's being taken advantage of. Or at least right. he says he's being taken advantage of. But again, yes. if you read it my way, he's kind of playing along. Right. And of course, Death comes right back into the room because he's Death. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, Mr. Bookman, stop this. Well, it kind um, of it kind of would make sense that if he's going to really reveal himself like this and say, you're dying at this time, it's kind of like you get one final wish. It feels that way because yeah. it's like, why yeah. else it would you really reveal cool. yourself? Why else would you, you know, give me my time limit? Like, okay, well now I know I'm gonna die at midnight. What am I supposed to do till then? You know, <laughs> like something, okay, something real. Spot. Get that final meal ready. Like, like, are we just are we just midnight. recording a podcast? Okay, I guess we're recording a podcast, and then I'll just drop dead at the yeah. end of it. <laughs> stay tuned Uh, i don't i don't i don't think we i don't know if i would be recording a podcast but i to your point i don't know what i would do if you're only given till midnight but folks at home let us know what you would do Um, (laughs) if you were put in lou bookman's position so he gets spooked because death is back in the room so he runs out the room and death is basically telling him, Mr. Bookman, you have made things complex now. You've kind of, you've complicated stuff because now you 
you wanted your appeal. I gave right. you your appeal, and now you're you're tricking me, or you're trying to take advantage of that. Like right. now, this is going to get complicated. And he's basically pissed off. He pissed off Death, which is something you probably should not do. No, that makes sense. And Death in this is a Don Draper type character. Yes, he's got he the is. slick back hair. He's eventually the mayor from Jaws, which, who is a again, CD character. Don Draper, Mad Men, Salesman. <laughs> yes, it's all about sales. That's all about marketing sales. and selling. So yes, mm-hmm. oh, it all connects now. And salesmen are the work of the devil. Like, <laughs> I don't even... <laughs> he tells him, "Oh my god!" <laughs> he tells him he's a good guy, though. Yeah, he tells him. <laughs> oh yeah, we're going upstairs. <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, we're taking the elevator down. Like what? <laughs> But he tells him that because he won't come, he's going to need an alternative. He needs to find someone else to take his place, basically. And as he's telling him that he needs an alternative, you hear a sound effect of a car crash. Yep. And what we find out is that a car has hit Maggie. Yep. So Lou runs out and he's he's like, Maggie, what happened? What happened? So there's like a crowd gathered around. And this schmuck that hit her with the car... Was like, oh, mister, you gotta believe me. I swear, I couldn't stop. She jumped right out into the street, I swear. It, it was like, all right, asshole. Yeah, like, really. you're going to jail. Yeah, <laughs> shut the hell up. Get out of although, here. Although, again, you know, when Lorraine's <laughs> dad hits Marty with the car. Oh, my God. So maybe kids were kids just again. getting... <laughs> So maybe in the 50s, people were just getting hit with cars all the time. This is where they make, they taught you to look both ways when you cross the street. Because I bet kids were just running in the streets, God, like, willy-nilly. Willy-nilly. Yes, willy-nilly and golly gee, (laughs) she gets it with the car. But I don't know, I want to know what happened to this guy. Because if oh, no. if this guy, like, did this guy get set up? This yeah, now he's going to feel guilty for the rest of his life. Go to jail now because he hit a little girl with his car. Well, Maybe. there's one of two things. There's one of two things. One is she wasn't re- He could have stopped and he was uh, the equivalent of texting in the 50s. So I don't know <laughs> if he was reading the newspaper while he was driving or... Two, he really couldn't stop, and she was kind of pushed into the street by death. Oh, yes, the push of death. (laughs) Either way, this guy's getting the chair. He hit some little white girl with a car. Little blonde-headed white girl, yeah. Now, maybe he has money, but by his vernacular, this is just some Joe Schmo No, he could have been a taxi driver, we don't know. I, yeah, I think he's a taxi driver. He's losing his license. <laughs> he's becoming he's becoming destitute. This man's losing his losing losing everything yep. to teach Lou Bookman a valuable lesson. Or that man might have maybe that was his his destiny. Anyways, he was supposed to. Mate, well, I guess that's possible. <laughs> kind of sucks for that guy though. <laughs> it was gonna happen either way. <laughs> Maybe maybe a different angel is going to come to that guy. Oh, yeah. And, like, then his life is going to become repaired. It's, a, you know, it's, a, it's, it's very cyclical. final destination. <laughs> it's all very final destination. If, if it's not... I mean, like, in final you... destination, they do get really fancy. So, I mean, this is kind of fancy in the way of getting getting his kill. <laughs> getting his kill. If... 
I kind of want someone to recut Final Destination with Marie Hamilton as Mr. Death standing in the background, like, <laughs> leaning against the wall. Like, as yeah. all the deaths happen, and he's yes. just, like, jotting notes down in a notebook, yes. like, all right, got took care of that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, that that one was pretty elaborate, oh, you know what but would be it fun? made, made Let's it look do like it he choked way. himself. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we could, climb out we the... could have the fire start, and then the knives fall and just stab her right in the stomach. <laughs> I've never done a roller coaster demise. Oh, that could be really interesting. It's fun. That is a, a lot of fun. A nail gun, you know? Always use one of those. Those are on the list, right? Yes. Because those that those deaths are hilariously mm-hmm. elaborate. Um, yeah, I would. I, I would wonder put what on Rod the list. Serling would. Don't you kind of wonder what Rod Serling would have thought of Final Destination? He would have thought it was shit. I don't, Do I don't think? think that man really liked anything. It sounds like he's just a bit of a cynic, so I bet he wasn't. He's definitely a cynic. I don't cynic. think he, was, he would be into it. Well, since or you say that. maybe they are in up, the Twilight Zone. They're kind of Twilight zone It is very Twilight zone yeah. And two, kind of of the times. I, I will tell you, Rachel, uh, I sent you the link, I, and I will, I'll recommend it to everyone to go listen to his interview with Mike Wallace about why he's making the Twilight Zone. Because part of it is another writer said, I think, toward Serling about making The Twilight Zone because he wanted to do science fiction and fantasy. And I know we're going off on a tangent, but we can talk about it here. He wanted to make The Twilight Zone. And and this author said, you can't be artistic while also trying to be commercial. Now, in 2021, there's a lot of backlash about commercialism, about, oh, I don't know superheroes so and about how maybe they're not the best form of art and some of them aren't and some of them can be and and his response is still relevant today where it's like you can be artistic and be commercial so i don't know maybe he would be like well these are dumb like it's not art it's not really telling you anything but it's fun like i don't know like it's he is a cynic though he's definitely a cynic but i but i do think that you know he also likes the twilight met zone messages and i you know the right. final destination doesn't yeah, really have final a destination has no message it doesn't have a message, no message in that. <laughs> it's it's the grand design but, i believe is what they but always I still, say i still want i still want murray hamilton standing in the background oh, yeah, of amazing. those scenes absolutely um shaking his head in, in displeasure at them getting off the plane or like, like, getting away with it like okay gonna have well, to put let, overtime and he in. just like flips a page and starts writing more notes <laughs> like great now i have to write all their names down <laughs> i had them all in one bunch it wasn't a big deal my boss isn't gonna like this <laughs> the one thing that lou does when he's on the street is he lifts he put he takes his jacket off mm-hmm. and he puts like a pillow behind maggie's head and i was thinking maybe don't touch her yeah don't touch her maybe don't lift her i head. mean nowadays you wouldn't do that absolutely not don't do that. Because you're going to... Probably has whiplash. Might... Neck might be broken. Don't touch yeah, it. Yeah, she's... <laughs> so in a way, maybe Lou killed Maggie. I'm just saying. <laughs> but what we learn is, because Maggie kind of like comes Oh, and then to, by the way, that's like, just Lou. the end of the show. And you know, that death that, takes the girl the, and yeah. um, that's the end. Death takes the girl. Lou learns a very valuable lesson about not trying to trick death. <laughs> end of the episode. Scene. 
no, no. <laughs> of course not. End scene. No, no, no. It's not that cynical. That's nihilistic. Um, it's depressing. But Maggie kind of goes like, "Who's that, Lou?" And he's like, "Who?" And he, she points to Death, mm-hmm. and he's like, "She's like that guy." So now Lou realizes that because she can see him, that she's been the one to take his place. Right. She is now on his list, <clears throat> not our list, his list. So he walks back up to death. I got it. I'm sorry. It took me, that took me a second. I'm sorry. The, everyone laughed that's listening. I just, it took me a second because I was like, not our list. Oh, our list. Add Maggie to the list. <laughs> just Maggie. Maggie episode two, The Twilight Zone, 1959. <laughs> Did Maggie ever become something? I, never I, I was about to, to look, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Donna Dillaway. That was her name. It looks like everything stopped in 1978. She's got 16 credits. She was in Leave it to Beaver. So, oh, there you go. A little here and there. Yeah. Pretty My Three Sons. Yeah, so some TV stuff. Right. So Lou walks back up to death and he's like, look, forget the deal. I'm ready. I'll go. And, and which is a total, you know, when, when, once he kind of realizes the ramifications of his actions, mm-hmm. he's like, okay, fine. I'm, if it needs to be somebody, it's, it's going to be me. Don't take her. Right. I mean, if um, death would have explained you... that, you know, then he would have just known or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But he's got to learn a lesson. I know, I know. And, and it shows you how noble he is. Right. Too. You want to root, you root for this guy, You right? do, Yes. But Death tells him it's too late. He's already kind of put the order in. Like, like he's kind of, like, changed the, you know, the, the purchase order here. So now they're getting Maggie instead. What we learn is he says, I'm still scheduled to leave with her at midnight tonight. Mm-hmm. He's waiting, and the doctor comes out and says, like, ah, it's kind of too soon to tell. So he decides to not let Death come get Maggie. Bookman does. Right. Like, he's like, I'm not going to let her, let him get in there. Right. He, he has made this giant decision. <laughs> it's at this point where I wrote in my notes, I'm interested to know if you can find the stages of grief in this episode. I don't know when those stages of grief were made, mm. but like, you see him deny, you see him bargain, you see him get anger, right. sadness, you see him accept it. He goes through those he stages. Through I don't know if he goes stage. through them. I think he does. The order. Oh, I'm curious yeah, so like, now. I don't know if that was purposeful, but it is interesting that he he kind of does that because mm-hmm. he he tries to bargain with him. Right. Like all the stuff is there. Yes. Which makes it a little more alliterative. Clearly, there's a lot of that in the Twilight Zone where you can read it not just surface level. Like there's an iceberg when it comes to a lot of these episodes. Yes. Even the ones like this that are more cutesy and corny yeah like a There's like a, just a little tale just a, like a little tale to read yeah yeah this could easily be like a little short mm-hmm. story so his big plan what what are the stages of grief just oh, in case on. we missed one there deny it's denial so the five stages of grief it starts with denial mm-hmm. which he does then anger which he does then bargaining which he does then depression which he does. He kind of does. Yeah, because I'm thinking, like, think about it. He's, like, already upset about his life, and now he's going to have to give it up for her because now he's depressed about yeah. her dying. So I think yeah. depression is a part of it. And then finally acceptance. Yeah, so he kind of 
does that throughout the episode, which I, I think is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't even like catch that right away. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Well, cause, I mean, it's, it is easy, like I said, to do these kind of things with these, these episodes of the Twilight Zone. But again, the, the theme of death and that kind of stuff, because of Rod Serling's experience in the war and everything, it kind of comes up a lot. And it is interesting to find these little things. That's, that's why we're here. That's why we're telling you these stories. That's our point. Right. We're, we're storytelling in our way and kind of trying to give you a little bit more to look at when you're looking at these. Right. Good, bad, or otherwise. <laughs> so Bookman's big plan is to set up a peddling station, a pitch, and he's going to delay death by selling him stuff. I'm going to sell everything to death. Which is a crazy plan. It's extremely corny. Oh, yeah. So Death comes back and he's like sitting on the stoop because he's like, oh, yeah, I got to get in there by midnight. And he's like, well, you're setting up a pitch right now? Like, it's the middle of the night. Right. And Bookman's like, oh, yeah, I, I sell some stuff. And he's selling ties. He's got like a bunch of ties. Mm-hmm. Men's ties. This is where I think that Death is in on it again. Because there's a, there's a couple of little shots where Death has, like, kind of a smile on his face as he watches Lou go into his pitch. Right. Starts, like, selling stuff. And you see him, like, get kind of a smile on his face, which could just be, like, a, hmm, I'm just waiting. But I think it's really, like, he's letting the old man get do his one right. last act. This is, there it is. Here it comes. Yeah. And, um, and that's where that's why I agreed with you that I'm like, I think he's in on it. I think it was all yeah. fated to happen. Well, and the other thing about it is, why is, does, so <laughs> he starts trying to sell Death a shirt tie. Right. And he's like, feel it. And he's trying to sell him little silk, like, Oh, uh, it's, and it's from across the seas and all of these, like. Sent by oriental birds. <laughs> Bring it in one by one. And I don't know what an oriental bird is. I guess it's a bird from the Asia Pacific. It used to be colloquially called the Orient. And. You look up oriental birds, they're really pretty. (laughs) (laughs) But Death is like, I'll take everything you got. I'll buy one. Okay, I'll take four. He keeps buying stuff from him. And it's like, why would Death want any of this? Yeah, Death's like sweating (laughs) and like getting crazy. And he's sweating. His hair's (laughs) out of place. He's all disheveled because he's just listening to Bookman give this. He's getting all excited by it. It's kind of crazy. I'll take everything you have. <laughs> and then he has one um, final I mean, thing to sell, though. The, the one last thing he has to sell. Well, I was just saying that, uh, so he says, I'll take everything you've got. And then he goes, oh, I have, but I have one final thing to sell. And it's like, he goes into this whole pitch about a manservant. This, I thought this was... This I part's kind of dumb. Oh, really? You thought it was sweet? Different opinions. Well, here, so, okay... There, there's two two routes I went with. It's a little stupid. I feel like this is where Death would have known he was up to something. That's why I think it's kind of dumb because I'm like, okay, come on. Death doesn't under, like see that he's up to something. He's that he's selling himself. But here's my other thought. This was also his way of bargaining that he he like he could literally just be dead but also be with Death so he could still be among the living. That he would actually become the manservant, oh, be like helpful to Death and still get to kind of do his thing in a living sort of way. I took it more as, because he says he eats little, he needs little, he rests only occasionally. I thought he was saying like, I thought he was literally, I guess not literally, but I thought he was selling it, 
take me and I will, I, not only will, will you be able to take me to the afterlife, but I'll assist you. Well, that's what I'm saying. And, I yes. can, and, and so instead of just taking Maggie, take me and I won't even go to heaven. I'll just follow with exactly. You I'll so I'll that, help you, like, and I'll be a part like a yeah. part of your team. It's corny, yeah. It's definitely, but I thought it was kind of like his like a sweet little like don't take her, take me. Like, yeah, I'm it, it, better... it that is it is like a cute way of saying like yes, take me instead. I just it it felt so obvious then to me that it was just like okay, come on, death, like <laughs> open your eyes here. This one's kind of obvious, you know. The other ones, I could still see right. him getting, like, excited well, about, like, his way of pitching because sometimes you get drawn into stuff that people say, right? So I could see that yeah. happening, but then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now you flipped it into something weird. Well, he doesn't get into the full take me with you true. as your manservant before the bell, before the midnight. Right, that's true. And death kind of is like, wait, I missed my, my appointment. Right. So maybe he would have figured out i don't know but 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 again like if death was in on it then he was kind of letting him give that spiel right but the bell tolls and the little girl is going to live because he misses an appo- his appointment which death acts like that's never happened and it's gonna unravel the space-time continuum right which it, i the guess grand he's design the nation this girl yeah, yeah, there's a grand design. Yep. I think he might say that. I can't remember if he does or not. I don't remember. Um, I just know that from Final Destination. <laughs> right, it's, a, it's, it's Final That's the Destination. whole point, is the grand design. The little girl's name, Maggie Polanski, is the little girl's name we find out. I don't know how common of a name Polanski was, or if, like, Roman Polanski was known in 1959. I don't know. Bookman is happy, and I think Death is pretending to be frustrated. But, basically bookman is kind of willingly now kind of says like i'm ready i'm ready to, to make the agree- arrange agreement because he made a pitch for the angels right even said well like, made one for the angels. and it was for an angel he did a pitch to an angel the angel of death <laughs> <laughs> so he literally did yeah, I, a yeah, pitch yeah for you yeah, for yeah, an yeah, angel yeah. so literally for an angel yes and he and he recognizes that it's time for him now and he takes the pitch box with him because mm-hmm. he's like, you never know, someone might need something. Right. <laughs> uh, and Death kind of like laughs like, at that, doesn't he? Like just like shakes his yeah. head. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going up there, right? Like, I'm not going to hell. Like if I'm going to hell, let's talk about it some more. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and he's like, No, you made it. I did like I do like the way that Death phrases is like, Yeah, you made it. Like, yeah, it was good. Right. Um, well, like, he even, like, Bookman... at the beginning, though, he even says, like, well, hey, I mean, I get to tell you about this. Is it one that it just sneaks up on you? I think for the bad people, they don't tell him. You know, it's just like, no, you, oh, you just die. You're dead. I'm taking you. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> well, he wasn't going to tell Maggie. He was just going to take her. True, but maybe innocence of a child. I don't know. Yeah. That's true. At the innocence of a child. Like a child. <laughs> And the two of them walk off, Death and Lou. As friends. Walk off as friends. As peers, like at the end of the Deathly Hallows. That's what I was thinking. Uh, yes, the three brothers. <laughs> <laughs> and he greets Death like an old friend. <laughs> and, they, and they left like equals. <laughs> See, everything takes from the Twilight Zone. I feel like it does. Even though this is clearly like an old... You know, uh, uh, yeah, it's a par- mm. parable of she trying to cheat death, t- told by Rod Serling and in a different setting. 
it you know it i do like that we can point out in modern times where we still tell like to tell these stories Mm -hmm. the closing narration is is mirroring the beginning narration and and it talks about you know he's a man beloved by the children and therefore it ends with this line which is but throughout his life a man beloved by the children and therefore a most important man it ends with like how he was ending all the episodes where it was like couldn't happen you say probably not in most places but it did in the twilight zone um (laughs) and that's how the episode ends so i think i made did i make you go first on where is that where is everybody should i go first go ahead okay so does it does it have shelf life as an individual episode i will say this i think it's a sweet little episode it's a fun little episode for a younger audience mm-hmm. that wants to get into the Twilight Zone. And I think that the acting is very yes. good. I think I think it moves. It really doesn't, again, like the pacing is not bad. But I will say, I don't think this one makes the shelf. This is not one of your classics. I think some people like it when if they, if they see it as a kid. I think that it sticks with them. Yeah. But uh, for me, I will say this is not going on the twilight zone shelf of episodes as an individual episode right i so i i would say yeah it's not like on the top shelf i would say that it's like a watch it i would say watch it i think it's a it's a nice episode to see and it has like a nice tone and pace and everything so it actually works really well but yeah i don't think i would put it like on the top shelf no I would say, uh, you know, it's there. Watch it. That's about it. <laughs> maybe, Is maybe it on any. It, it could, it could be like you know, bottom shelf or like in the closet or whatever. <laughs> I was gonna say, are you putting this in the box with uh, small soldiers? Maybe. You said you can own it. Just put it in the box. You know, it's not on the it shelf. goes with all the other Twilight Zone episodes that end up in the box. <laughs> yeah, it's your box labeled Twilight Zone. But you should watch it first before you put uh, it I, I in agree. that box. You can watch it. <laughs> You can watch this one. Because I, I like the story behind it. I do like the story. So that was One for the Angels. Coming up after the break, I'll just read you the narration that Rod Serling said at the in, back in 1959. We invite you to take a walk down a western frontier street at the elbow of a doomed gunman whose salvation lies in nothing less than a magic potion and a Colt 45. Mr. Dan Durea stars in Mr. Denton on Doomsday, next time on The Twilight Zone. We'll be right back. Twilight Zone has been brought to you by Push Button Lilt, the foam home permanent for neat and easy curler permanents and neat and easy roller permanents too. Lilt. And we're back. So we are moving on to episode number three of the Twilight Zone season one, which is called Mr. Denton on Doomsday from October 16th, 1959, written by Rod Serling and directed by Alan Reisner. Uh, Alan Reisner was a TV director for a bunch of different stuff. And it stars Dan Durea, who did a bunch of different things he's like a 1940s type of actor it's stuff that i've never heard of because we're talking a long time ago but martin landau also makes an appearance martin landau is pretty famed an actor of some fame uh died a few years ago 
he was in a bunch of different things. Some people might know him here or there. He was in a bunch of stuff for, what's his name? Tim Burton. So he played okay. Bella Lugosi and Ed Wood. Oh. He was... He was actually in the animated Spider-Man series. Wait, really? He played the Scorpion, huh. I guess. Who knew? But um, I know him from playing Bella Lugosi and Ed Wood because I think he got an Oscar nomination at the very least for that. I don't know if he might have won. He's a fairly well-known actor. In this, he plays the villain, <laughs> basically. But he's been an actor for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he, he actually comes back a few years down the line in the Twilight Zone. Right. Mr. Denton on Doomsday, Rachel, you want to give the the synopsis on what we're about to see here? So we're taken back to, like, the Wild West, you know, desert gunman-type era, I guess. <laughs> I always feel like, did this actually ever happen in the world? Or is it always just on, like, a Western show? But um, mm-hmm. we're taken into, like, a Western, and there's a a drunk that apparently used to be a good shooter and people know him and everything, but he is now just a drinker and that's all he really could be. But the whole the whole idea with this one is that he kind of has to drop the drunkenness and pick up the gun again or, you know, there's a potential that he's just going to die. There's a, another person that wants to do a, um, it's not a shootout, but what is it, like a draw match with him? Yeah, yeah, we'll get into it. We'll get into so, it. So, I mean, that's kind of like the whole idea is like what how does he either bring himself back to what he used to be or It's it deals continue with on. redemption. Right. And fate. And guilt and fate and Yeah. It's interesting because it feels <laughs> like a cliché story of It westerns. does. It does. A little bit. And I don't know again if that's because this came out before the other junk or if it really is a cliche so so let's start like like you said it's in the old west i feel like and there's some episodes of the twilight zone that that are in the old west i think that's twofold reasons one they were there were already sets built for the old west so it was easy to do stuff set in the west Mm -hmm. and two westerns were extremely popular so it makes sense to do something po- if the twilight zone were on today and it was you <laughs> think that a couple episodes would be like superhero driven or you know uh something like that sure like, because it, like, instead of like a western the hero it's more of a superhero yeah yes. yeah which i don't think any of the episodes of the new twilight zone did have superheroes in it it was very societal conscious right but if it would have lasted longer who knows but is our first western on the twilight zone so portrait of a town drunk is how it starts and al denton is our uh protagonist and what happens here is a drunk gets tossed out of the bar and he looks pretty ratty Mm -hmm. and we find a group of people follow him out this is where martin landau comes in and he is dressed in black he, I put, he looks like a creepy, like, Joker <laughs> character. Like, Martin Landau is kind of a weird-looking guy anyway. Yeah. But he looks creepy here. He makes Denton sing to get a drink. Yeah. And, uh, because, like, this is how, like, pathetic this guy is. He doesn't have any money. He's just a drunk. He's just, he's basically, like, trying to, he's, he's dancing for nickels. He's a, at this point. He's the jester. 
Yeah, he is the jester. It's a good way to put it. And Denton, I said he looks like a uh, proto Roddy Roddy Piper. Um, he's got like <laughs> some disheveled hair. He does. No, yeah, he looks I a little like it. Roddy Piper. I see it. But he obliges and he starts singing. And do you remember the song, Rachel? Do you want me to sing it for you? Go, go ahead, sing it for me. Come on, Denton. How dry I am. How dry I am. Charlie, can't you break that up? Nobody knows. I don't like it any more than you do. The How misery they give that guy out there. How dry I am. Nobody cares. How dry I am. <laughs> How dry I am. <laughs> it's really bad. It's a really Which, bad like, song. It's supposed to be bad, obviously, but like it's even worse because this guy's just so pathetic. Mm-hmm. And he's just this laughing stock. Right. A- and the bartender and a showgirl inside the saloon are lamenting that they're making him do it. They're basically like, I can't believe that they're making him like go through with this. They're so mean to him. We don't really know why he's a drunk. We just know that he is a drunk. And the way that they're talking about it, they seem like they're just kind of very upset about the whole situation. Mm-hmm. So Landau breaks the bottle and then throws it at Denton. And Denton runs, grabs it, and starts like chugging down whatever he can. Right. Which, I don't know, clearly bottles back then di- built differently than they are now. But do you think he's drinking glass? <laughs> like, there's glass and sand in there now. I, I would potential and yeah, dirt it's a potential i guess if you're that big of a drunk you just don't care <laughs> i thought he was taking his life in his own hands because he's drinking some some glass oh my god in that broken bottle so this is when the narration tells in it tells us denton's backstory about he's just how drunk he would give his soul for another chance but there happens to be a peddler who just like <clears throat> in the last one there's a there was a peddler in this one, there is a peddler. Although Serling Ster- says that um, it's parlance of the times. So a peddler is what they were actually called back then, mm-hmm. as opposed to a pitchman. Um, <laughs> and a rather fanciful looking little man in a black frock coat is there. So there's this like salesman guy that looks like a buzzard, kind of. Like he's an older guy, but he has like a long face. Sure. And while Denton falls asleep on the ground, the peddler looks at him, kind of like shakes his head and walks away, and a gun appears on the ground next to Denton. So um, from there, <laughs> yeah, like just magically, like it would, it, if they wanted to make it so that it wasn't total fantasy, have the peddler place the gun on the ground right. next to him. Right. But it like shows up out of nowhere, which was a pretty good effect. No, like, yeah, you, I mean, I, you know how they did it, but like, <laughs> still, like, it just kind of appears out of nowhere. It, it comes into frame. But what happens is we come back and Denton wakes up and he finds the gun and he starts examining it. And he looks over as like a like a like a gorilla at a zoo <laughs> with like, look at if you handed him a microphone. He's like, what is this thing? Yeah, like, he does kind of look at it funky, even though like he, he does. He's know what really it is. trying to remember what it is. <laughs> right. Uh, I said that the score is super annoying. It's like stock score in this one, but it's this annoying clarinet that keeps like 
Like kind of true. I don't. I think that might be one of the things that I was like, oh god, about it. But (laughs) (laughs) I think it's supposed to be from something. It's from something, some sort of classical music. I just don't know what it is. Okay. We get another look at the peddler. I described his face as being very map looking. Lots of lines on this dude's face. You can draw the states on it. I think you can draw the states on it. All fifty would have been represented by this type. God. So the showgirl comes out, Ms. Smith, he says, um, comes to check on him. And she mentions that he used to be good with a gun. And he says, that was a long time ago. It's that prototypical archetype story of the broken man that used to be the hero, right? Right. She asks him, uh, he hasn't held a gun in a long time. And she says, she blames the liquor. She basically says, like, it's probably because of all that booze you've been drinking and she asks him, like, why does he do it? Why does he keep drinking? And he says he doesn't know. He just picked up the habit one day and never, never stopped. stopped. Yep. Which is probably a pretty good allegory for alcoholism. I think it is, yeah. Because he calls it a habit. He's like, I just picked up the habit one day and didn't stop doing it. Although we get we get the reason for why he did it later Yeah, but he on. continuously so stays drunk, so he doesn't remember. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah, because, yeah... Because I guess when he does eventually tell him, he's sobering up at that point. Right. So Landau and company come back out and taunt him again. And they make him sing again. And she pleads with him not to do it. She's like, don't demean yourself. Do not do this. Right. You don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. You, you'd make a deal with the devil before you like humiliate yourself here. But he acquiesces and he sings again. Of course. This time... This time it's super pathetic and he starts to cry. Yeah, it's he, very like, sad at this point. Because <laughs> he, like, realizes what he is. He's just so pathetically, like, miserable. Yeah. Landau basically is like, all right, fine, get in the saloon, rummy. Go get your drink. <laughs> so he starts to go in. But before he can, Landau sees the gun in his hand. He's like, wait a minute. Oh, like... Just like schoolyard bullies, these guys are. They are. They really are. So he starts to taunt him again. And he basically challenges him to a draw. And they're in the saloon at this point. uh, Well, no, no, no. They're like on the steps of the saloon at this point, challenging to a draw. If I'm the bartender, I'm like, can you guys go do this out in the (laughs) streets? Yeah. Like, why aren't you doing this inside? What are you doing? Landau basically forces him and this is where you get i don't know rachel if you were to type in martin landau twilight zone i kind of wonder if this is one of the images because he bends at the knees i'm gonna stand up so that i can do it because it is the weirdest stance so he does like this type of stance where he's gonna like fight him yeah it's like almost like like a grappling like he's about to do a grapple and wrestling or something and he's built so he's built like the Joker. So he's like tall and really lanky, and it's just it's very unsettling. <laughs> it's the creepiest thing in this episode. It's just weird. But he because he's such a weird looking guy, and he has this stringy hair. He's got this like big strand of hair coming down past his eyes. Oh yeah, all greasy like. It's just he's very off putting. <laughs> I think that's the idea, though. And, like, and he is also wearing the dark clothes, so he is supposed to be the bad guy. Sure, sure. He's got the black hat on. You know, you pick the white hat or the black hat. Good guy or bad guy. 
he's doing a very good job. Oh yeah, he's he's very he, he is a very good actor. Um, it's just that all right, he's like, Ugh. like he's got like his <laughs> mouth open. It's just very odd. Yeah. And Denton tries to have Miss Smith explain why he won't why he won't do it. He, he's just like, I I can't do this. I won't do this. But as right. he's doing it, he's kind of like twirling the gun around in his hand, and it goes off. And shoots the gun out of... We, we end up learning that, that Martin Landau's character's name is Dan. It shoots it out of that guy's hand. Right. And the peddler kind of looks pleased. And the group celebrates because he's like, wow, what a shot. Like, you shot it right out of his hand. Like, he did um, it, though. <laughs> he was just swinging it around. But I guess they thought it was, like, a a, a game or, like, a like ploy. A trick shot. Yeah. yeah, he was just playing with him. Like, oh, I'm so drunk. I won't do this. Shoot. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Because the group celebrates and they bring they Denton do. back into the bar. And I kind of wonder if this is one of those situations because all of these people, maybe they go through town, but they all come back to this town. And what we learn later is that Denton would be well known. So mm-hmm. he's probably like a local legend to kind of see him come back to do something that you've always heard about. Yeah. It is probably like, wow, I, I can't believe it. He, the, the legend is true. He is like a great shot or whatever. But then Landau is pissed because he's been embarrassed <laughs> yes, he is he's yeah. ju- he is bit he's humiliated in, in this yeah manure and hmm? manure well, I hate manure he... yeah and <laughs> he comes back in and he wants to draw in the saloon so like now again if i'm the bartender it's take like guys <laughs> take it outside there's no way that you don't have a gun it's the old west like right. you could take a gun out and be like all right fellas take it outside mm-hmm. but they act like they're just gonna draw right there in the saloon which is so bizarre to me it, it's a bit asinine it is it just feels like they didn't want to they didn't it feels like they didn't have a whole setup outside to be able to film it right so they were like, ah, just do it in the saloon. They could only do the one angle, so they couldn't yeah. like, get from the other the, angle. <laughs> if they shoot from the other angle, they're going to see telephone poles and right. stuff. <laughs> so they can't shoot it that way. But he go basically, Lando goes to shoot him, but the gun goes off again yep. for Denton. And it breaks this ceiling light. Yeah, like the a chandelier. chandelier. Yeah. And it kind of stops him from being able to shoot again. Falls right in front of uh, Landau, and it and it prevents him from getting shot. Mm-hmm. The the rest of them are really excited, and they are like, "Wow, Mr. Denton, like you did that shot!" And they they're calling him Mr. Denton, <laughs> and he is like, "Wait, what did you call me?" <laughs> yeah, he and... kind of does it in like a a bit of a, a "What did you call me?" That would, like, scare people. But the reason that he's saying it that way is because he's, like, he recognizes that they respect him again. Right. They're saying, they're calling him Mr. Denton. Which is more respectable. Yeah. So the bartender offers him a drink, and um, he turns it down. He's kind of like, you know what? I think I've had enough. Like, he kind of recognizes that He's won the respect back, so he's going to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. The other conclusion to this could be that he stopped drinking because he realizes what's coming. Right. And he thinks he needs to sober up. I prefer to think the former. No, I, yeah, no, I think that makes sense to me. No, I, I kind of, I wish it was the, 
he's sobering up because of the respect that he realizes he can still have. I I prefer that. I I agree. Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, the whole episode is about redemption and fate, so right. that kind of makes sense that he feels like he's kind of redeemed. I was so he he rejects the drink, and then he bitch slaps Martin Lando on the <laughs> way out. Yeah, which is a nice little touch. So then he basically tells the story to Ms. Smith about what happened, which it turns out that he used to be the best gun in the town or in the area. And he was so good, someone would come to town. He says each day, which I find <laughs> to be a little ridiculous. I think, I think he's remembering it incorrectly. But someone would come to town each day and challenge him and they would try to outdraw him right which is uh of course i feel like it's got to be a western cliche how many duels could really have been going on back then well the whole idea is the idea to kill the other during a draw or is it to disarm or is it to just point it i don't i would assume you got to shoot the gun right which which then i think that you're shooting the kill right I'd imagine that would happen a lot because now you're just pointing and shooting. But it's some like in this, it feels like it's a disarm, disarm this, only. Feels, yeah, and this is <laughs> disarm only. It does feel a little bit like they're playing by um, second year rules. At the same time, I don't know because like he, because what we find out is one day a sixteen year old came. Right. In the town, and he killed him. Right. Was he shooting this 16-year-old dead? I guess. And I don't know. If, and it's hard to tell. Did he know he was 16? Did he mean to kill him? Did he feel like he had to kill him? Like, they don't go into details of it. No. And I'm half wondering but if he didn't know he was after... 16 until afterwards, and he looked at his face, and he realized, oh my god, wait, this is a kid. Right, yeah. So, yeah. So, and then he... And they kind of say, like, he started to fall off even before that. He would get drunk so that he could forget about killing the previous person. Sure. And he got drunker and drunker, and he started earlier and earlier because of it. And after he killed the 16-year-old, he he just becomes a total drunk. Yep. And he loses his ability to shoot. So, and he basically sounds like he knows that word will get out that he's back. This time... It sounds like he's planning a suicide mission. Okay. He basically is planning, I think, to not shoot back and let the guy kill him. Or he thinks he can't do it. He thinks, like, this is all a fluke. So he's going to try, but he knows he's so bad with a gun now that it doesn't matter. Yeah. He knows the guy's going to come and he's just kind of preparing. Because he's like, I'm going to go get a shave. He wants to look good for... What he thinks the is going to be like his last duel. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, I think that is what he says. I think that's what he says, yeah. Or something similar. This is kind of the same backstory that Gene Wilder has in Blazing Saddles. I don't know if you've ever watched Blazing Saddles, Rachel, have you? I have. Yeah, so it is kind of the sim- a similar backstory that he has in that, right? Yeah, it does kind he of says, feel that way. He Because he's got, he's got the jittery hand yeah. after shooting a kid or something like that. So again, I don't know if this is a trope. Of westerns, or if it is, maybe it is one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm like the best gunman, and then all of a sudden I do something that makes me regret it, which Um, sounds like it tends to be I killed a kid. But, um, (laughs) well, and I was trying to figure out. I can't imagine this is what this is me reading it with a modern lens. 
But I was like, is this supposed to be like a toxic masculinity story or even a story about masculinity? Because it's, it's, because you have to be it's the like, biggest and the baddest and the yeah. It's the like best. why are, why are these people coming into town to test him? What are they gaining from this? This macho head game of like I'm gonna come into town and I'm gonna prove that, that I'm, I'm better. I'm the better gunman. A pissing like, match, it, if you will. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a dick measuring contest. I mean, which I cannot imagine that Serling was clearly progressive, but. Oh, and ahead of his time on some stuff. But I cannot imagine that he would have been thinking that way. Right. No, because I don't think that even, was even really a thought then. It was like a real idea then. But it is a way to view it through a modern lens. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, is it kind of saying something about how stupid it is to like... Well, and I guess you could. it doesn't have to be about masculinity. It could just be like, don't try to one-up yourself to be the best... Or don't feel like, again, back to the future, like if somebody calls you chicken. Right. Um, you don't have to, you know, yeah. answer to that. I'm I'm three for three on these back to the future. You references. really are. That's actually a good one, though, too. I mean, there is a Western <laughs> in back to the future as well. So There is a Western in back to the future. <laughs> and there is a draw match. There And there is. It all, I kind of want to know now if Robert Zemeckis was just a big fan of season one of Twilight. So. <laughs> So we come back, he's shaved, he got his hair cut, he's looking very dapper. Someone comes to his little, like, shacky house, and he's like, you Danton? And he's like, yeah. And tells him that, well, there's this guy, Pete or Paul, can't remember his name, short name. And um, boy, he's coming. He looks like pretty boy. I remember him looking a little bit like Brock Lesnar. I don't know if that's no, true. He, he just had like a like... curly blonde hair. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't yeah. look like Brock Lesnar at all. Are you kidding? <laughs> he, he looked. Yeah, you're right though. He does have like um like a he has like He's a baby like the face. Prince came in. You're like, oh, Prince Charming is here. <laughs> like, what is happening? <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Pete. <laughs> Sam, I didn't, I didn't mean Saul, to say it that way. Short name. Pete Grant. Pete. Pete. You're hitting that hard P with Pete Grant. Anyway, <laughs> Denton says he will be at the saloon, and he kind of realizes that there's no backing down. So once again, why can't he back down from this? Why does he have to do this? Is this some sort of contractual obligation? He's a Yes, this, you are now a cowboy. You are obligated to take every um, match that is set in front of you. I just don't understand. They challenge you, like, you have to accept it. You don't have to accept it. It's not like it's not even like he walked up and slapped him with a glove right. and challenged like him to a duel. threatening his life. He's just like, hey, you want to do this? This sounds like fun. I heard you're the best here. I'm the best over there, and let's do this. I really don't understand. It, it like, I just... It, it's like a chess if match. Someone can... <laughs> If someone can write in and be, and like, was this a cult? Yeah, what's a, what is the modern equivalent to having to accept a duel where you're going to be shot? Well, (laughs) and like you had to, well, not like the modern equivalent of that, but like the modern equivalent of you have to accept this challenge. challenge. Yeah. What would be the modern equivalent? I don't know. Because that doesn't happen. 
I'm just gonna stick with my chess match. I feel like if somebody is, if, if a chess player challenges another chess player, they have to play that game of chess. Yes. <laughs> that, that's that's the unwritten code of chess. Yes. Is that you have to play this game of chess if someone challenges you. That, that's right. Chess players that are listening, let us know if, <laughs> if your city, if, does a chess board need to be present? Or if you just know that that's a, a chess player and you're like, I challenge you to a game of chess. Yes, and then they have to set the date and the time for the match. <laughs> It'll be at the saloon. <laughs> I don't I know mean, if the I saloon like your has a chess table, but yeah, I get you. I was like thinking Central Park, the third chess table from the right. <laughs> yes, meet you at the third, the third chess table. <laughs> I mean, I guess all of those folks, the folks that play at the park and just kind of do, you know, sit yeah. there all day playing chess, I guess they would. Oh, they have to. Yeah, they're obligated. They, they have to <laughs> accept your challenge. For any folks that are in the New York area around Central Park, um, please let us know if you just go challenge one of the one of those chess chess uh, people. Do they just have to play you? Someone test this theory. <laughs> Go challenge a chess ma- a player to a duel, please. <laughs> Take out a glove, slap him, see what happens. And write into us. Let us know. <laughs> don't don't actually do that. Don't actually do that. Don't slap don't them in the be face. Liable. No, no, no. You don't. You can still challenge them to a chess duel. I don't see a problem with that at all. <laughs> no, that's just a friendly game. Exactly. No, well, I mean, it could be. It could be kind of fiery. You never know. Yeah, I get, yeah, you never know. I do kind of want to know, though, if somebody does have, like, a thought of what the equivalent today would be. Like, I cannot imagine, in the wild, someone walking up to me and being like, you, Kevin? And I'm being like, yeah. And they're like, I'm gonna challenge you to Simpsons trivia. Like, I, like, what would You'd the... have to. <laughs> you can't say no to that. <laughs> I don't know what the equivalent is. I'm trying to think of something like the listeners know we might have some knowledge about, but what what is what is that? I mean, maybe it's like a video game thing at this point now. That's true. I do believe I would I would believe that that happens a lot on Twitch where it's like I got to find loves to spooge because I got to <laughs> challenge him to, you know, a game of NBA 2K Ooh. or or FIFA or whatever, oh, yeah, we're so going, I can we're going prove back that I can now. beat him. <laughs> so anyway, so he decides to go practice shooting, and he's terrible at it. So it's not like he's gotten better suddenly. He's he's still bad. Like, he needs practice. He's totally out of practice. Probably can't even do it anymore, even if he had practice, because he's he's, you know, destroyed his hand-eye coordination. He hears a noise, and it's the peddler is outside. And the peddler gives him kind of a look. And Denton thinks that he's, like, trying to sell something. So he comes out. And Denton, he's, he... God, I wish I could, like, think of a good... Like, I was thinking, like, his acting reminded me of something. But I just couldn't put my finger on it. But he's kind of whiny. A little. Yeah. Like, he's kind of like, look, I'm not trying to buy anything. Like, yeah. that's kind of the he's way he talks. He's got a whiny tone to his 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 uh, voice, yeah. Which I think is because he just wants to be left alone, and he thinks that he's going to get shot tomorrow. So he's, he's like, like, I don't want to buy anything. <laughs> but the peddler is like, no, 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 Mr. Denton, I have something for you. 
and he's has a potion tells him or you could call it an elixir but he tells him it will solve his problem because the man who drinks it will become the fastest of the fast and of course he's talking about shooting the gun off he'll become the fastest of the fast and he says it only lasts for 10 seconds it'll let you hit what you're aiming for exactly it's right in the spot that you're aiming for so the peddler who looks a little bit like jim varney <laughs> i thought Ernest, he does a little bit yeah he's like oh hey miss britain i got this elixir for you <laughs> add that to the list can we add that one to the list because i haven't watched all it all of them in a long while we can, do, we can do the whole damn series. Oh, God. <laughs> the only two that I, like, remember are the Christmas one and the Halloween one with Miak. Right. Yeah. Miak? <laughs> Maybe he just needed some Miak. Maybe that's what the elixir is. is <gasps> that Miak. is what it is, is Miak. So, <laughs> so he lets... I don't know why that one got me. I don't know. It's I'm great. just thinking of Ernest being like, I got some meag for you, Mr. Dan. I think it's like skim milk. Because like when he <laughs> drinks it, it looks like it's skim milk. Anyways. I eat success for breakfast. For breakfast with skim, with skim milk. milk. <laughs> where, is, where are we at? So he, um, he gives him a free sample. He gives him a sample and he's able to shoot the like a lamppost. Mm-hmm. which I counted because I was like, I don't know if this is 10 seconds. And then and then I was like, oh, maybe it is like five because then the peddler is counting the 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. He and, and he offers him a freebie, basically. I thought a little aggressively, kind of like a drug dealer. He's like, take it. <laughs> he gets like, whoa, geez. Yeah, um, a little forceful. Maybe he just so made it. Pe- That's why it doesn't actually last that long. It's really just water sugar water you think he was doing like a uh, placebo effect he was like you had it inside you all along mr denton i think so i think it's a snake juice type of thing you know what, what what's not snake juice what do they call it uh snake oil snake oil i think it's a snake, snake oil juices from barks and rec <laughs> we are we are referencing the hell out of this episode <laughs> i don't mean to it just it's happening it's just happening but I do think it's it might be like a, a fake elixir. I mean, I guess because it is the Twilight Zone and it is supposed to be a bit more magical, it could well, yeah, be but something. But that would technically be the second episode where we're accusing the the uh, fantastical character of being kind of tricking the protagonist being into smarmy. his own fate. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> which is possible. Like you said, it's the Twilight Zone. They're all ah, they're all kind of like that. Like they're they all kind of they. It's one man writing these, and he kind of has, you know, the same thoughts. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's also kind of a monkey paw-ish, you know? It's like, oh, okay, just, is this thing actually, like, doing something? It's magical. Yeah. It's weird. You know, it's a peddler. That's why I keep thinking of that as well. He's a Yeah, that's right. That's the second episode in a row with a salesman. <laughs> it's a peddler. And the uh, <laughs> a peddler. It's a peddler. <laughs> The peddler gives him some, and he says, like, you can just take it for free. Henry J. Fate is his name. Okay. Oh, God, really That's on not the even subtle. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although his tagline of Fate stepped in, that's a hell of a good tagline. That is good, because he is Fate, then. Yeah. Fate steps it's, that, in. That almost makes me think even he if... He changed he, his like, name. Like, even if... 
he is the embodiment of fate, like we had the embodiment of death True. before. True. Again, yes. Then it's that, or he changed his name to yes. be able to have that tagline. Exactly. Like, it's he came up good. with a tagline and went, oh, wait a minute. What if I was fate? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hell of an idea. That's yeah, a hell of an idea. <laughs> so Denton, the next day, is waiting at the saloon. And again, I was just like, what is the point of this? There's a doctor there, I guess, to declare one of them dead. <laughs> or to your, like, why is there just a doctor here? It's just the town doctor. Um, it's a tiny little strip, Kev. I mean, come on. The town doctor's always probably at the bar. <laughs> I mean, I guess. But the way that they feature him, no, like, oh, yeah, mean. the doctor's doctor's here so we can get started like (laughs) and grant shows up paul grant i had the name later in the in my notes his reveal is framed very well paul it's pete i thought um isn't it pete oh you're right pete pistol pete Pete, how dare you pete whatever how dare you name him paul his name is pete (laughs) i'm sorry i apologize besmirched his name I apologize to the actor and to the character, Pete Grant. Do you just use so, his real name in the show? No, no, no. I just, I don't have his that name. That would have been great. Me. I'll just go by Pete Grant. It's fine. This actor can't respond to anything but his real name. So he looks quite young compared to Denton. That's clearly done on purpose. Right. And again, they're just going to do this in the saloon? Yeah, again. Yep. Everybody's like, just kind of like pressed against the walls. They like run away from Denton because they're like, this is going to happen. And Okay, let's think about this for a second. They're going to shoot each other for one. So let's say one of them shoots and misses. So now there's going to be some damage to this a, Or a possible ricochet. Or a ricochet that's going to shoot and hit some innocent bystander. Yep. Maybe that's why the doctor's there. <laughs> <laughs> to take care of the person that did not consensually agree to yes. this duel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what if it hits the doctor? <laughs> He'll be fine. That's <laughs> ah, fine. It's fine. The bartender will or... also is also the t- the, the stand-in doctor. <laughs> that's always a yeah, picture I mean, of Western. Back then, why not? Like that. That's about as good <laughs> as you were. Some of get. the alcohol pours it on the wound. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, you're fine. Just walk it off. Uh, it's kind of festering. You'll probably be dead in a couple of days. Whatever. We'll cut um, it off. Or the shot hits and the guy slumps over and now you just have blood all over the floor. Yep. Gotta which clean I that get. Out. It's a saloon. But you have to clean this up now. Yeah. It's probably typical. They just hose it down. It's fine. <laughs> <sighs> get out the hose. <laughs> That is what water was was for back in the back in the old west. It wasn't well, I, for drinking. I would never drink that water. Ugh. It was for <laughs> it was for cleaning the saloon floor. Oh, after duels, yes. <laughs> after draws. After daily draws. <laughs> yeah, daily your daily draw. Oh, it's six o'clock. It's almost time for the draw. Get the hose ready. Get the hose. Denton goes and drinks the potion. Mm-hmm. But then he notices that Grant is also drinking a potion. So yeah, I bottle. guess we're, su- we're supposed to believe here that Grant also had a... F- a run-in with the peddler? Yeah, a run-in with fate. <laughs> so this is when... So they both draw, and they shoot, and they hit each other in the hand. Yep. 
In the shooting um, hand. In their shooting hands. <laughs> I do love that the doctor stands up and is like, no winner, gents! No winner! Like, <laughs> yep. like he it's was a draw! Like, yeah, he's like all like, the ref. <laughs> yeah. Like, not only was he the doctor, but he was also the referee. <laughs> so, like, for all of you that are going to go out and challenge each other in chess matches, make like, sure make sure you have a doctor there. Yep. Doctor hat must that can be present stand there. to be your ref. And if, the, if your chess game goes down to a draw, have him make sure to be like, no winner, gents! No winner! It's a draw! <laughs> So my question to you is this, Rachel. Did fate make it so both of them hit each other in the hand, thus making it? Because what what ends up being declared is that they kind of, the doctor looks at both hands and is like, you can't shoot anymore. Like, neither of them can shoot anymore. Right. And it'll be slow and it'll be, you know, hard to do. Yes. Yeah. So did Denton do that? Because that would mean technically that Grant also didn't want to kill Denton. I have a feeling or, that's true. Or did fate do that? <clears throat> and it just kind of like. Well, I th- I bet here it, this this is here's my here's my idea. Okay. 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 So <clears throat> we know that Denton doesn't want to actually shoot and kill the kid. Okay. We don't know the kid's backstory. But mm-hmm. I'm wondering if he was pressured into becoming the best oh, shooter. Okay. So maybe he doesn't actually want to do this either, but he feels forced again to duel mm-hmm. somebody in order to right. like continue on. Right. And fate is, is he's helping. He's got to get to the state championships. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And he's just like, I really don't want to do this though. And I think fate stepped in to be like, look, you don't have to, and I'll make mm-hmm. it so you don't have to do this anymore. I like that interpretation. That That is my interpretation of this. Yeah, yes. I, I kind of like that. <clears throat> I kind of like that, because I was, I was legitimately confused as to, like, okay, who was wishing <laughs> for what? Did fate just do all of this to just get them both out of the jam? Right. Because, like, clearly he well, went because... to fate or fate went to him. Like, Yeah. Because, I mean, Grant then... is the old, uh, Pete is the new. Right. Wait. Not but, Grant. But Wait, Pete... Grant and Pete the same. No, Denton is the old. Denton. <laughs> Denton is the old. Grant is the new. And Grant now doesn't have to ever feel that guilt that um, Denton does feel. And Denton feels yeah. now like, I don't have to do this and I can now live my life and not be a drunk and I feel redeemed. Right. And he saved, and started... he saved another soul, technically, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> I almost went into the song from Shock Treatment, which is the sequel to Rocky Horror, which we'll get to one day. It'll be a while, but we'll get to it. Um, I don't think I've ever seen Shock Treatment. It's a weird-ass movie, but well, the so songs are good. And it, it takes place in a town called Denton, so there's a song oh. that's like, Denton, Denton. And I don't, again, I don't know if, I don't know if this is a ref, that's reference. Um, but again... Everything goes back to this Twilight Zone. It, it, it kind of feels like it now, huh? <laughs> um, so they both can't shoot, and Denton tells Grant that he can no longer ever shoot again in anger, and he's been blessed. Yes. Like he he tells him like this is a blessing. You just don't realize it. So Denton is uh, it's basically alluded to that like Denton's gonna get to live a long happy life because he doesn't have to shoot anymore. Right. That's our happy ending. 
So the peddler and Denton kind of nod to each other and the peddler leaves the town. And that's the end of the episode. And I uh, do not have the closing narration in front of me. Mr. Henry Fate, dealer in utensils and pots and pans, liniments and potions. A fanciful little man in a black frock coat who can help a man climbing out of a pit or another man from falling into one. Because, you see, fate can work that way in the Twilight Zone. Thank you very much. See? Everybody can do a Rod Serling. <laughs> but I mean, but that's exactly what I was trying to say before, too, is like, he helps one man climbing out of the pit and stops another man from falling in it. Right. Yep. So that is the end of, da, uh, I almost called him Dr. Denton. I, uh, Mr. <laughs> Denton. What is with you and doctor today? I want everyone to have the title of doctor for some yeah, reason. Dr. Death and Dr. Denton and doctor. Because <laughs> it's alliteration. You know how much I love alliteration. Oh, we love alliteration. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is Mr. Denton on Doomsday. It could be Dr. Denton on Doomsday. That would be way better. <laughs> I don't know why he'd be a doctor, though. I mean, like I said, everybody is the town doctor. Everyone's the town doctor. They're also a referee and a bartender. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rachel, it is, we've come to that time where we decide if this episode of Twilight Zone goes on the shelf. So are you putting Mr. Denton on Doomsday individually on on your shelf? So funny thing with this one, it was like rewatching it. I'm like, oh, it's a Western. And then watching, I'm like, oh, it's actually kind of interesting. And I liked watching it and it was enjoyable. However, I don't think I would put it on the shelf. Again, I would put it in the box. You know, you can read it or, or you can read it. You can watch it. Um, and then just also kind of... get the towel. I'll play and read it. <laughs> and then just, you know, put it away. It's fine. You, you saw it. It's good. It was kind of fun, um, but I don't think it actually belongs on the shelf. I guess the way that we, I guess the way that we're doing this because we're doing this because there, it's an anthology. We can do this episode by episode and decide which episode wants to be on the shelf. I mean, overall, spoiler alert: Twilight Zone's probably going to end up on the shelf. So if you're gonna buy the season, oh yeah, the, the box set the is on the shelf. Yeah, then this probably is on the shelf. But you know what I mean. <laughs> but yeah, but 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 we're doing it. Yeah, we're we're analyzing this individually, and you can buy the individual seasons. I'm sure, or the individual episodes. I'm sure individually. So yeah, you know, I mean, maybe some digital. people want to do that. They just want to get. They shelf. just want to get digital copies of the the ones that we recommend or something. Who knows. But I'm kind of there with you. So I don't think the story totally works. But now that you kind of, you've, you've changed my mind on it with, oh. with your explanation. I, I do think it works <laughs> better than better than what I was thinking when I first watched it sure. or when I watched it for the show. But I do think it makes you care about the characters. I think, the, I think again, acting's good. I think everything's good about it. I do think that it's worth a watch. Don't skip this one. But again, I, I'm with you. I don't think it makes my shelf... Um, but it is worth watching. Right. And it's, I guess, like you say, like maybe it's in the box, but it's, it's not on your shelf. It doesn't, it doesn't have a place uh, of prominence. Sure. Or it could just be one that you stream for a night and there it goes. Yeah. But it is. I think it's a kind of like just a fun one to watch. Yeah. I I was just kind of surprised when I was like, oh, it's a Western. And then I was like, oh, actually I'm kind of interested in what's going to (laughs) happen. Yeah, because I, I always think that, too. I don't know why I have that idea, but, like, I saw, like, oh, boy, it's a Western. Like, I thought it was going to be, like, super hokey or kind of bad. Sure. 
but it wasn't it was it's perfectly it had a story. fine yeah it had its its little moral i guess i guess it's not really a moral eh. it's something it's, it's something like a parable a parable is that it yeah yeah it, do- it doesn't have like a a hell of a moral at the end of it but yeah so yes we've gonna keep going even though um we're kind of short-circuiting here uh it's getting pretty late here in the twilight zone yeah but um, i can't even what time is it i don't even know what time it is well see that's the clock weird. doesn't isn't seem it's to truly be not, it's not working moving. it's not working for you either no that is okay because mine is truly not working so <laughs> it... That is, that's weird. Yeah. What time is it? I don't know. It's, my watch it's... says something different than my phone says something different than my computer says something different. I don't even know what time it is. And the I've got a clock on the wall and I mean, it's dark in here, but it feels like the second hand just keeps going backwards. Which, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but it's yeah. kind of weird. <laughs> All right, Vince. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, that is our episode here and let me give you the uh before we go to a word from our sponsor or our fake sponsor next time on the twilight zone the motion picture projector and this film provide a background into the next story when a most distinguished actress takes a journey into the twilight zone when we come back it's the 16 millimeter shrine on shelf life in the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. Brought to you by Pell Mell Famous Cigarettes. Over, under, around, and through. Pell Mell travels pleasure to you. And we're back. Well, Rachel, we continue our journey through the Twilight Zone. We are in the Twilight Zone, and we are on episode <laughs> four of season yep. one which is titled 16 millimeter shrine it debuted on october 23rd 1959 written i think by i just Ra- got the title what i think i just got the title i think, think i understand the title yeah, i kept sorry. saying 16 oh, millimeter by? shine <laughs> and i'm probably going to say 16 millimeter shine again so just be prepared for that but it's written by Rod Serling. It's directed by Mitchell Lyson, who directed some old, old-timey stuff. And this episode is kind of a take on... I mean, it's a take on it, and it's it, it kind of feels like the same kind of style of movie. So there's a movie... Rachel, I don't think that you, you know this one. You may have never even heard of it, but Sunset Boulevard... Have you heard ever heard of it? of it? Okay. I've heard of it, yes. I don't I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. I mean I'm I'm sure you can add this one to the list. Um <laughs> it's a it's a movie from the from nineteen fifty. And it basically is about an an aging actress who is keeps trying to get parts in Hollywood. It's supposed to, it, it's by Billy Wilder, who's a very like cynical okay. movie director. And sure. it's clearly trying to be thematic of aging actresses which is very much what the whole point of this episode is so it it seems like rod serling's take on that storyline mm-hmm. and i would say that you know we can easily 
I mean, it, this is for for the people, folks at home that have not watched the Twilight Zone or don't know about a lot of the Twilight Zone stuffs. You may recognize this storyline from a episode of Seinfeld in which Kramer goes to Los Angeles and one of his neighbors <laughs> is like an old bitty actress. Oh, yeah. So yeah, same idea. A Norma Desmond type. That's the the actress from Sunset Boulevard. It's a it's it's kind of a like an archetype now, uh, you know, a Norma Desmond type. Um, no, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, we will get to Sunset Boulevard someday. Sixteen millimeter shrine. Uh, I guess that's because that is what the film reel used to be. Sixteen millimeter. Is that that's that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So I guess that's the point of it. Because I, I would imagine, because it's all on film, not on, like, digital. So it's like, oh, wait, the film is probably that large. Yeah, because it's just this big-ass film reel. Because film used to, you know, be be bigger and and crazier and flammable. And, <laughs> well, it was the original. <laughs> yeah. Just to kind of start out with, this is, stars Ida Lupino is playing Barbara Jean in this uh episode is it and Ida? huh is it ida oh is it ida what did i say ida yeah i think it's ida ida's a name i don't know if ida is <laughs> I- ida hi ida yeah i think it's ida ida i'm Lupino. pretty sure it's ida the, the interesting thing about her is she stars in this episode and i think she does a pretty good job of portraying this bitter character yeah uh, kind of becomes like a proffered type or you know it happens a lot where it is this like aging actress in hollywood well yeah and i always find it interesting when they play this character too is she's very dramatic and she's like constantly acting and portraying herself that way yeah yeah she stars in this episode of twilight zone she directs one of the episodes of twilight zone which will be down the line as we get you know further further into the twilight zone here the masks which hmm. is one of the most famous episodes of the twilight zone she directed oh, that's very that. interesting i like that okay yeah. so she stays you know she stays within the, the serling family too here i guess we can just get into it uh, any any thoughts before we get into it uh oh, no no i think we can let's All do right. this uh it starts with an old romance picture scene is how i put it, it it's mm-hmm. clearly supposed to be like this old timey scene um, right. It's supposed to be old timey for 1959, <laughs> so <laughs> so it clearly is trying to be old fashioned, like 1930s style picture show. Like I said, the narration here is good. The character is familiar. It's this old biddy that used to be a star. You mm. say old biddy, but I don't think she's really that old. No, and I think that's part of the point too like it's it's just like it's the actress had hit has hit an age where they're like oh you can play a mom now instead of the daughter but she okay we'll get to that scene. right yeah i mean that's it she though. gets so that's the thing. And she doesn't even look that old no no but like i would say she's probably in her f- i mean it's hard to tell because back I then would like say, i would say late 30s yeah i mean i was gonna say 40s it's hard to tell because you see Rod Serling and you're like, oh, he was in his early 30s. He looks like a 50-year-old man. Exactly. But, but <laughs> I, it's black and white and it's kind of hard to tell. But I guess to your point then, she's probably younger because mm-hmm. she doesn't look that old. Do you want to know how old she was when this one came out? 
Yes. So I just looked it up. Okay, so she was born in 1918. So oh, this was 1959. So if we do the math on that, she would have been 41. Almost 40. Yeah, yeah, or 40. Yeah, yeah, 41. So she's it shows she's in her early 40s here. But to your point, it's not like she's it's not like she is the neighbor in Seinfeld where, you know, she was in a Three Stooges short yeah, or she's, something <laughs> like that. Yeah, she's not like in her 60s or 70s where it's like really obvious. Right. How old she is. I mean, I think that is part of the the satire in this on both Sunset Boulevard where it's like they don't have roles for these actresses that aren't 20 years old. They, they can't come up with anything better for them to do right. in their 40s. So we see this this scene and it's being portrayed on a projector. It's, it's, it's on a movie set or on a movie screen. It's a movie from that time. Then a maid comes to give... This woman who's been watching the movie, we find out, is Barbara Barbara Jean Trenton. And her maid comes to give her a snack in her movie room. And it is a nice little study, like nice little movie room. As someone that. Yeah, I mean, I have a movie room, or what I call my movie room. She's got her movie room. There's nothing wrong with having a movie room. But I think the problem is, is that she doesn't get out of the movie room. Yeah, I don't think she ever leaves that room. And the framing here is really good. The most famous thing I think about this episode is usually the framing of the projector. Because mm-hmm. most of the time when they're trying to make you feel uncomfortable in this episode, they frame it so you don't see the projector, but you see the light coming oh, off yeah. of the projector. And... There's usually like a couple of times in this, there's no score. It's just. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just the, the sound of the projector. Mm-hmm. And they do that here and have the maid kind of be startled by the fact that Barbara Jean is up by the next to the projector and she's holding. The, so I couldn't. I, I think. I mean, this is clearly purposeful for, from the show's standpoint. The direction was to do this, but she's holding her arm the same way that her her on screen because she's like we see that she was the actress on screen she's like holding her arm the same way Mm -hmm. so is this supposed to mean she's losing touch with like what's real and what's not or was she in there acting it out herself or is it just that she's so attached to the past that she tries to even mimic the mannerisms that she did 20 years ago i think it's a little of all of that honestly i really think she's kind of losing touch with reality because she never leaves this room wants to hold on to that acting and that portrayal that she did years ago and so she just is continuously like doing it over again yeah i mean how i don't know how like, many movies... i can still do this see i am still this person how many movies do you think that this because i mean we find out that she doesn't like to leave the room. She sits in her room all day watching old movies. Is she only watching movies of herself, do you think? I bet. But how many could there be? Does yeah, she repeat? I, would, say... I bet there's a lot. I actually bet there's quite a few because a lot of them are pretty short most of the time. Oh, you think that these are like Nickelodeon shorts? Well, I don't think like Nickelodeon shorts. I'm not, just saying not like, like, not like... Nickelodeon in the sense of oh. today <laughs> when we say Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon of like then, which just been okay. like a short you know movie a picture a picture i bet there's some long ones and i bet there's short ones and a lot of the times they did tons of movies because they were the actor or actress they worked like two years they're just constant movies a day oh 
We gotta get this movie done so that we can go shoot the next movie over there. Probably. Over there I don't like hours. that you went to porn star though. No, well, I mean that's just the saying of like, oh yeah, they did eight movies in a day. They worked like a porn star. Sure. Whatever the saying. I'm sure it was like, oh, we gotta get this done so that we can go to the next movie. We got three hours to shoot that one. Yeah. Right. I bet. So. And it might maybe it's not just her. Maybe it's also her co-stars' movies and stuff that she. That's true. Used to she act kind of with. Pines over them. Yeah. Too. The maid goes out back into the hall and the hallway because it, it's like a. It's clearly like this. She was a big shot, Barbara Jean. She's got this mansion that she basically just sits in all day. And this is a hallway from the game Clue <laughs> or the movie. Like a like landing. A, like it's a, just like a... this huge ass. It looks like a courtyard. It's such a set. It, it looks like it has no ceiling. Maybe like... that's the point. Maybe we want. Maybe the whole idea is that her house also looks like a set. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if I mean, you know, bravo if you want to write the essay on that one, like how the <laughs> even the even the house is a set, because like if you look in the back, there's clearly like a courtyard in the back. There's these gigantic mm-hmm. doors to walk in. Um, right. The doors which need to be slammed a few times in this episode. And they hilariously kind of, you can tell they're supposed to be like big, heavy doors, but they're just cardboard or whatever. (laughs) So like, some people will like kind of swing them and they just flap to the side. It is funny how cheapish they look, but you get the idea. She's, she was a big shot. She lives in this mansion. Mm -hmm. So Barbara Jean's agent comes in, Mr. Wise. And Sally the maid says that she's worried about Trenton. She's worried about Barbara Jean because she hasn't gone out of there at all. This guy, he's got to be in more episodes of of Twilight Zone, I feel like. But you've seen this guy before. Martin Balsam plays Mr. Wise. You know what he's in, Rachel? What is it? He's in Psycho. He's the detective in Psycho. Yeah. He's he's one of the jurors. He's I think he's the foreman in Twelve Angry Men. Oh, okay. Um, he's in a couple I, of Yeah, I can, like, picture it now. Oh, yeah. uh, add both of those to the list, though, by the way. <laughs> well, yes. Yes, of course. I think you've been chomping at the bit to do 12 Angry Men. We might, I really want to. Be, I want to watch that one again. That one might be Yeah, that one might be coming up on a, in a series or season close by. If we, if we get good, if we get good, re- I mean, wait a minute. We said we don't really care if we get good reviews or not. We're going to do this until we don't, we're not having fun with it anymore. So it doesn't right. matter. So who cares? <laughs> <laughs> but if the people want it, the people will end up getting 12 Angry Men pretty soon. If the um, people want it, they just have to wait a few months and they probably will get what they want because it's just on the list already. <laughs> that's right. Well, yeah, I mean, at least a few months because as as we've discussed, like you're getting these in in uh, binge form. But anyway, so he walks into the movie room to talk to Barbara and mm-hmm. the film stops. So again, you get this like lighting of the film stopping and him seeing like the last like bits of the film. And then she's just kind of like sitting in the chair and tells him to get a drink. You know, Why don't you get a drink? What's his name in this? I, I keep I said Mr. Wise, but it, which I'm assuming it's Danny. <laughs> Danny, Weiss. Danny. It's like such like a Mr. Like Wise, like that's his last name because he's the Wise agent for her, yeah. like a, you know. <laughs> um, but he says it's 11 a.m. Why would you start drinking? She clearly is just this like broken person because she just oh, feels absolutely. washed up. 
and he opens the I did love that I, I love two things about this so he opens the curtains and we get the that old-fashioned like ah oh, the sun like that like <laughs> reaction from Barbara and he very dramatic very over the top yeah absolutely over the top which is perfect for the character right right that's what I'm saying it's over the top but she plays it exactly how you should play this character yeah over the top bitchy like there's no other way <laughs> to describe it like this she she because she thinks she's a diva like she thinks oh, she yeah. should be on top and 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 i think that part of her thinks if she acts that way that's the only way to keep herself in that in that limelight in that vein is to act sure. like a diva right so she, we get the the sun and then we also get it's uh danny says a beautiful day there's no smog like i just loved that that acknowledgement of the smog smog. the la the la (laughs) smog i feel like that was definitely a rod serling being like there's fucking smog here like the city sucks (laughs) god um and just kind of like throwing that in there like oh yeah it's a nice day there's no smog because i gotta deal (laughs) with that every day but he tries to convince her to leave the house and they end up going over to a study, which is the other room of the house that we are. It is a study, right? Like she's got almost two studies. She's got like a library here, her screening mm-hmm. room. And then right. she's got like a study, which has like a bar and like pictures from the past and stuff in it. Isn't there like a specific type? Like they call it like the cigar room or it's like oh, the. That, like, yeah, I could see that being like. That. Or something like that. They might right? say that. I feel like she says. Which the usually study. has like the bar and everything. No, I, I yeah, they, she probably does say the study. I don't remember what exactly she but, says. But you're but... right. Like it is, it is, a, it's the cigar room. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna head over to the cigar room and we'll pick up some. Which is usually looks like a study. We're gonna hang out That's over why we here said it. cigar room. <laughs> Well, they go there after dinner. That's where the men go. That's right. To have their brandy and talk so about So maybe business. she can't have a cigar room. She has a study. No. It's the this, same exact thing. No, she, <laughs> this lady feels to me like she was the one wheeling and fucking dealing. Like, oh, she not, would she go to the cigar room. She did not care that she was a woman. Like, she was going Ooh. to that cigar room. She'd have that, like, the cigarette thing that, like, elongated the cigarette. That's right. Yes. Oh, yeah. A Cruella 100%. DeVille. A yes. classic DeVille. So classic. <laughs> I don't know what that thing is called. I don't know. But I'm going to call it a, a DeVille. Oh, it should be called a DeVille. If we, folks at home, if you can get that going, start calling that a long... I mean, they don't, I don't think it exists anymore. It's just a cigarette holder. But if any of you, like, use jewels, maybe if you, you can get, like, a jewel <laughs> that elongates it. So it looks... At that point, it would look like a giant kazoo. But it <laughs> would look weird. You, First of all, you shouldn't jewel. It's bad for you. But if you, <laughs> but if you do, and you could get a Deville-sized elongator, please do. Um, where the hell were we? So, Barbara, Barbara's going through pictures. Um, yeah. One is from 1933. There's another one from 1934. And I think when I say pictures here, I mean moving pictures. But Danny Wise is basically like, these are from the 30s. These are from, these are ancient. They're from so long ago. <laughs> and like, it's an, again, like one of those things where it's like, oh, right. Like the 30s was a long time ago, but so was this. So it's like, okay, they're trying to tell me just how long ago the third like it, it right. like it just it makes you it makes you feel old because it's trying cool. to tell you how much older this is compared to 
the their present and right. to think about how long it's been since their present oh, it's just yeah. crazy that's why when you said she was from 1918 was when she was born 1918. i was like i was like jeez yeah i mean she died <laughs> she died in in the 90s she died in 1995 sure so the themes of this are clearly like don't cling to the past and that is recurring in a lot of these twilight zone episodes too like you have to let go of the past you have to move on you can't be like don't be too nostalgic like the we'll get to you know the next couple episodes are definitely about that even in the ones that don't necessarily intend to be about that i could make an argument that a lot of these twilight zones are about don't cling to the past which maybe was part of the problem with the 50s and the way that serling would see the world in 1960 because he was as we pointed out kind of an activist kind of progressive Mm -hmm. and the idea of people clinging to the past of a time when things were better whether that be the the 50s decade well yeah exactly might have been like a a, an issue with him where he thought that that society needed to you know progress you know Mm -hmm. what i mean no, like, I, I do because he look well. You can tell with even just knowing him through the Twilight Zone that he looked to the future than the past. Right. So I I get what you're saying absolutely. Well, and I mean that's just this is just like one example of that. Um, mm-hmm. Specifically to clinging to your own past and like your own accomplishments and trying sure. to come up with something for you like it like if you instead were... of instead of trying to come up with something new or different to do you're just clinging to anything that you had before like you could easily put a guy that was the star quarterback of the football team in high school and do the yeah. exact same story yes like these the are my trophies thing. these this is my jersey yeah. type of thing instead of and, and and pining over the cheerleader that he took to prom or like exactly easily the same thing so he tells her that he has set up an appointment for her with one of the movie studios. And back then there were, you know, there were probably a few more movie studios than there are now, but that was kind of how, you know, you had an agent, they were tied to the studios. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the actresses were tied directly to the studios. So it was probably like that in the past where she would have contracts with different studios and she would do like five films for this studio and five films for that studio or whatever. But she, she's got an appointment, and she's excited about this. This is where she runs to the study, and she's like, I hope it's a musical. Oh, it would just be lovely if it was a musical or a love story. And, and this is where, this is what reminded me, or, or I'm sure if she's doing Norma Desmond, which I, I have never seen Sunset Boulevard either, aside from some clips, but I thought that she definitely reminded me of the neighbor from Seinfeld in this scene where she's just like so like oh wouldn't it be wonderful if it was a musical Danny <laughs> just like yeah <laughs> this it's oh, like yeah. oh Danny I hope it's a love story Danny <laughs> and he knows that the part's not going to be the same as the other ones. He keeps trying to remind right. her, like, okay, but you have to remember you're not in your 20s anymore. Like, like right. it's going to be slightly different. They're not just going to keep giving you that same kind of part. I mean, she's delusional to hope A that it is bit. going to be. It, I, it's just, I think it's just tough for her to get, face the fact that it's like, well, you start, you're looking older. You're looking a bit more distinguished. You're not going to have to that like childish look to your face anymore that makes you look young you know well and it could be i mean again 
it's definitely about Barbara Jean, but it could also be an indictment on the Hollywood system because, I mean, take a look at name a name an actor. You, they're probably older than you think. Oh yeah, and their love interest is way younger than them. Right, a lot of the time. Yeah, like uh, like a like in a Bruce Willis or like a Tom Cruise movie, the love interest Absolutely. is usually like twenty years younger than them. Right, and but if you were to do that in the reverse, like you can't get away with having like a leading lady in her fifties and the guy's like thirty years old or whatever. No, which I, that definitely does talk about how Hollywood runs. Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, maybe it's kind of that, too. Maybe that's, like, some subtext, because we already know that Serling doesn't like Hollywood that much, or, or right. like, has his, <laughs> it has his issues with, with, the, with the business side of it. So, I mean, I could see that, too. Maybe that's subtext. Maybe that's not text at all. Folks at home, you get the drill by it. If you're, if you're listening, you didn't just pick up on the Twilight Zone episode, or maybe if even if you did, and you got all the way to episode four, like, you get it. We're looking for little things to pick up here. So Absolutely. That, that's our thing. Um, I must, I probably have said that too much, but for any new listeners out there, I feel like we have to make sure that they understand we're not just recapping what happened. We're also having fun with what's going on in the stories. But that's the point. So they go to this executive, this, 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 uh, movie producer. And, and I, and he doesn't really talk like that. I just always want a movie producer to be like, Oh, hey there, Barbara. Like, with side, that's where like the cigars hanging out the side of yeah, their mouth. The cigars <laughs> hanging out the side of the mouth. Oh my god! Like I got a great picture for you, honey. Like that kind of you know the cigar chopping producer. Yeah, Um, but he's not quite that. I mean, he he is very he seems kind of stereotypical, but not quite at that level. Right. And they tell her about the part. It's not big, but it would be a nice showcase for her. It would be a nice opportunity for her to show that she's. I, I got the impression that he's trying to say like it's a good opportunity to show that you're still out there. Um, right, yeah, you're, that you're still, like, available, that you're still something. I kept thinking of, again, another movie that's representative of this trope. Uh, have you ever watched Mommy Dearest, Rachel? I've seen parts. I haven't seen the whole thing. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you've seen No Wire Hangers, I'm sure. Of course, of um, course. <laughs> but there's a scene very similar in that movie where... They're talking to Joan Crawford about being in a movie and, like, she's delusional about getting old. Like, it's the same kind of thing. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is has become kind of an archetype for things. Absolutely. Um, I, I do love back the back and forth where they're like, why do we always fight, Barbara? Why do you always fight with me? Because she's rejecting the ideas because what it comes down to is they want her to play a mother. Mm-hmm. And and they even say like early forties. I think shoot, they might say early forties, probably. Which is exactly what the actress is. We don't know like how old she is in this, but that's that's how old the actor actress is. And she's like rejecting it. And she's and the guy's just like, why do you always fight with me, Barbara? So she clearly was always a diva, even back in the day. She like Absolutely. always was a diva, right? Picky, very very picky. <laughs> Which, like, I get. Like, if you were the star, you're gonna be picky, but she basically storms out. Danny tries to get her, why don't you just take a look at the script? And she's like, you take a look at the script, Danny. And... Oh, yeah. Yeah, she just goes completely ballistic about it. And and he refuses... She refuses to take the, the role um, and storms out. 
the exec or the producer calls her a prima donna <laughs> which i loved and then says like you're not you aren't the number one lady anymore you're just right. an aging broad with a scrapbook we it says we can set up a part in the community chest because it'll be charity it's such like a get it's like you're not you you can't quit you're fired like kind of pretty thing. much yeah because it's like after the i'm fact. firing you yeah the moral of the story in this scene is don't burn bridges apparently because this guy's basically threatening to get her blacklisted absolutely the agent good good on this agent if you have if you're in a field and you have to have an agent this guy sticks by her here he does. because that's true because uh, he does not agree with her storming out of the of no. the, the office he no. really does not he thinks she should at least take the role right at least look at it like come on but the give it a chance the agent goes up to the producer and he's like, next time I see you, I'll give you a swift kick in the teeth when you get old. <laughs> <But> <laughs> the agent or the producer has got to be older than her. He is old. I would like, think so. Absolutely. I would at least assume. But I, I do like that he stands by her. And, and I will say that she was. But he is a man. So old for a man oh, is different right. than old, old for, for a woman. Yeah, we got right. remember that. That's, that's correct. <laughs> Just true. You're at that biological clock. Right. Uh, Awful. Yeah, like Mick Jagger having, uh, didn't he just, didn't he have a kid a few years ago and he's like in his 70s or something? I think weird? so. Yeah. Bizarre. Still gross. Yes. It's, it's kind of gross. Um, <laughs> so the agent just tells the guy that he's petty. He's basically trying to tell her she's still got it. You mm -hmm. still got stuff. So back at the mansion, she says no studio exists and... She tells them all off that her only world is her mansion. So she she tells Danny that, like, she's not going to try for any more roles. She's perfectly fine living in her fantasy world with her movies. And the mansion is the only world that exists. So she's, yeah. she's shutting herself off at this point. Completely. Yep. Another good little rant by her about old. I love that. I, and, th and this, again, everyone is going to be nostalgic for a place that never existed. Because mm -hmm. this is the 1959, and she's bitching that and and saying that Hollywood isn't the same as it was back then. And like people say that today, and people said that 10 years ago, and people said that 20 years ago, people said that 30 years ago, and people said that 50 years ago, and people said that 70 years ago. Because there's the perfect time is the time that you remember, and not the real time, right? Right. But your your memory also changes over time as well. So, like, your your memory of the past is usually, you know, rose-colored glasses. Right. Well, and she says that the drapes are drawn and the doors are locked. Actors are wear undershirts and the movies have no sentiment and there's rock and roll in it now. <laughs> and it's the same thing where it's just, it's not her style. It wasn't what she was perfect at. Times have changed mm -hmm. and she's deciding not to change with the times. Right. That this is her like active decision to not change with the times. Absolutely. Which is great. It's just I mean a lot of people think of that now. Like they don't want to change with the times. And 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 in some cases maybe you shouldn't change with the times or in some cases maybe we should bring some things back from the past. You have to learn how to adapt. Right. Um and she is actively choosing not to adapt, right? I just thought it was hilarious. So she shuts her eyes and and she <laughs> just wants to wish it all away. 
Can she just wish it all away? Uh, <laughs> so dramatic. And you kind of get this message back from Danny here because he tells her that it's nostalgic. It's nice, but it's not true. It's phony. Like, this is clearly the message of the episode. Absolutely. Uh, if I wish hard enough, she says, it doesn't have to be phony. So, like, again, like, she's just actively deciding. She doesn't care if it really was phony. She wants to stay in the past. Absolutely. Yeah. Folks at home, I'm sure, I mean, right now, that, that I would say a lot of people want that to happen. I'm sure no matter what year you're listening to us in this People want that to happen. It's just a fact of life that you have to move past. <laughs> like, there's no other way to say it. Like we live in the past year on shelf life, but we're we're doing it we're in a fun way. You know what I mean? You can yeah. engage the past and you can engage nostalgia like we do on this show, but you have to do it in a fun way and you have to realize that it's all for fun or it's all for your entertainment and it's not for real. You shouldn't be basing well, your life on the past. What you what we're not doing that we're not like basing everything on the past. We're not looking at it that way. We're trying to figure out whether the past still holds up to the present. That's right. And for the future. And for the future. For your future. So we So that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're using the past to find that out. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so she wants her friends. One of them's been dead for five years. <laughs> Danny tells her it's such good delivery like it, I don't think it's like this but in but my really go ahead. they really make her really old by going well your friend's been dead for five years the but, way they make it sound like it's like they're oh they're dropping like flies because how uh, fucking old they are well again you don't know how old she's supposed to be True. in this episode and two if it is one of those situations where the co-stars were older than her oh that's then maybe true. they were in their 60s and she you know so like, they were yeah they were maybe they are as in old their as she is now. now yeah yeah i'm sorry go ahead and finish your thought though my, my thought was that i just I, I don't think he says it like this but in my head he says it like this where he just he goes you know this one's been dead for five years like like <laughs> like kind of saying you're, you're here with ghosts she wishes for things that are dead. And this is this is the point where the he tries to slam the door, she slams the door, one of them slams the door. And it doesn't it won't slam shut because it's it's just not real. So it's a sign of like this and it like it like it like pops backward because it just doesn't want to sl- stay shut. And I guarantee you that these movies weren't as good as she thought they were. Maybe Probably. they were. Maybe she was like an all-star, like Oscar-winning actress, and maybe she was because she like could act this way. But like mm-hmm. something tells me that they weren't as good as she thinks they are. Or not all of them were. Yeah, yeah. She probably had her good ones, and then, like I said, they probably have her do so many, and then it's like, well, only a few of those are actually any good. So we get uh, a little bit of a time jump here, and the agent comes back later, and Sally tells him she hasn't even gone to bed. Sometimes now she just stays in there. She stays in that room and doesn't come out. And Sally says she thinks she's seen her on the screen creepily. I wanted Danny to be like, well, yeah, you're." she's watching videos of her like you are seeing her on the screen. <laughs> right, of course she's on the screen. She's watching her old videos. Yeah. I caught this and folks at home, I'm going to ruin a little bit of this for you. So ignore this next 30 seconds if you don't want to know it. But there's a bad take here. Uh-oh. Where he goes to say a line, <laughs> and he flubs it, so he says it again. 
<laughs> Did you catch that? I don't think I caught that. Yeah. It's a simple line. It's just kind of like a, what do you mean? What do you mean? She's not, like, it's kind of like that. Oh, like, he starts okay. it, he flubs it, and he says it again. And I mean, it's natural enough that like a person would flub whatever he said like, so it could stay. But like it clearly yeah, kind of like was a like a stutter almost. Yeah, but it clearly was like a, oh, damn it. And then he says it again, like hoping they would edit it and they didn't. Oh, God. <laughs> he, yeah, I didn't catch that. That's funny. He tells Barbara that uh, he's brought one of her old co-stars is in town. And it's the one that looks kind of like Robin Hoody, some sort of like, you know, or, or, or maybe it was like an old like pirate movie, like something like that. Like it's a, one of the romances she was in. Okay. Yeah. And he tells her because he, he thinks it may help her. She gets to see him and he tells her and she's so excited to see him. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. And she's like, I'm going to go get ready and then and then bring bring him to the study. She runs in there and what do you think it is, Rachel? Is it like <laughs> I wrote down that Walt Disney is there. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see it pretty much. Oh my god. Her reaction is so rude. Oh my god. To this She's disgusted by him. Absolutely disgusted. That's a good way of saying it. Because she pictures him as being like 30 years old or whatever. Mm -hmm. And now he's just this like old man. He's got these Coke bottle glasses. Yeah. He's, he owns a string of supermarkets in Chicago. That that sounds so goofy, but whatever. So I guess back in the day they you know, they didn't pay where I was saying, like, maybe some of these movies weren't as good as she thinks they were. Because if the lead actor in this didn't have enough money to keep acting or didn't want to keep acting, or I think maybe got, you know, oh, you're old now, you're getting pushed out. Yeah. Uh, so he moved on. But but the point is, like, oh, he moved on to, like, own this string of supermarkets. But oh, yeah, he you, may you... still have a mansion and <laughs> yeah. stuff. You don't know. Well, if he owns a string of supermarkets, he's pretty That's doing pretty exactly, well. Exactly, exactly. He's a grocer. No, he's <laughs> not a grocer. He's like the business in the back grocer. That's not what a grocer is, because he oh, because because what's a grocer? Is that like the manager at a gro- at an old timey grocery store? I don't. Folks at home, let us know if grocers still exist. Like, if you are a grocer, do you consider yourself a grocer? Or do you need to like be in the 1950s and delivering milk to people's houses to be considered that? I guess that would make sense. It says a person who sells food in small household goods. Yeah. I guess. He's a grocer. I think, I, I guess that's true. Yeah. I guess I was thinking of like the people that are physically in the grocery store selling it. Not oh, I like. Thought, I thought you were going to say, like... I thought you were going to say that you become one when you go to the grocery store. I'm going to go uh, no! become a grocer and pick up some cheese and milk. I just didn't think, like, the management side of it for some reason. Like, the owner. Yeah. Like, unless he's, like, physically in the building actually selling you items for some reason. It didn't, like, click that, that, that would they would be technically grocers. Yeah, no, I yeah. hear you. I would, I would consider the manager of a grocery store to be the grocer. Sure. More so. But folks at home, please write into the mailbag. Let us know if we're wrong about this. <laughs> Rate and review. Give us that five-star review. Give us a one-star review saying that we didn't know what a grocer was. <laughs> but 
please don't do that. We don't need. Please them. don't. Five star and then tell me that. And I then was wrong. say that we didn't know what a grocery was. Five stars for not knowing. We'll what give a you a shout was. out on one of our uh, grab bag <laughs> episodes. They didn't know what a grocery was. Five stars. <laughs> So her line here is that, isn't it funny we see people the way they were and not how they are? So, mm-hmm. again, she's she knows, right? She knows she's delusional at this point. Absolutely. She just wants to believe the lie. Yep. She wants to believe her big lie. I've heard that before somewhere. She She believes it. And it's not a lie if you believe it. <laughs> George Costanza. <laughs> Oh my god. I'm trying to link everything together. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> I do like that they keep the camera on her the whole time over his shoulder. We never see his reaction to her being an asshole to her to him. Right. We only see her disappointment and how right. old and dorky this man has become. Sure. I kind um, of uh, I imagine the the Ralph Wiggum heartbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you think that we missed the absolutely absolutely (laughs) i don't know because she points to his picture and it's like look at this this is what you used to be and it's like you may as well be dead like she's so it's so awful it's so awful exactly that's what i mean i just i i I just picture that awful like fall in his face and i mean to his or he's just like you know what i am fucking old I yeah. am old. And I am a grocer. I'm a successful exactly. Chicago grocer. I moved on. So do you. You're old. Get over it. <laughs> I mean, he does kind of just let it go because he hugs her. Yeah. And he's like, goodbye, Norm. I keep saying, I was going to say Norma. Norman. <laughs> no, I was going to say Norma because it clearly Norma Desmond. So I was going to say Norma Dean because it's Barbara okay. Jean. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> the, the names. There's too much pop culture information in my head. I could oh, be like, imagine if we took all of this stupid knowledge and like transferred it into something useful. Maybe we'll have another podcast about useful information if this Uh-oh. one takes off, Rachel. I don't know what oh, that one will boy. be. Oh boy, couldn't tell you because I won't. I don't have any useful information in my head anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so she kind of shoves the guy away too. Like she pushes the guy away after telling him he might as well be dead. Just totally mean. And the agent basically gives up and walks away. Like, fine, whatever. If you want to do this, you can do this. She goes into the dark room and turns on the projector. And we get that light again. So we had that, like, eerie glow again Mm -hmm. from the projector. And then she creepily walks up to the screen and says, there's my Jerry. Like, there's the the co-star. Like, the co-star's name is Jerry. And she's like, there you are, Jerry. So wonderfully young. There was a strange old man here who said he was you. She wants to be with these people on the screen. Right. She, she wants, wants to, to be up there. physically be there. So then we get Sally again bringing her a snack. All this okay. woman does is bring her a snack. Question. Question about Sally. I feel like she's she's a bit pushy and a bit nosy. You are the maid? In like you're the, the help. 50s? No, you're well, fucking wrong. Honestly, I'm surprised at how pushy and like nosy and talkative she is. She's yelling at her, like, "Get out of this room!" And she's eat your uh, food. She's and her, like, she's her Alfred. 
She's I trying so. to like prop her up a little bit. Maybe they have a, <laughs> a more cordial relationship. That's true. That's known true. Each other it just, it just seemed time. kind of odd. So, so you'd be more comfortable. She acts all mousy, and then all of a sudden she's like this. Do your things, and I'm like, calm down, lady. She's trying to encourage. Know your role. You are the help. Get back to the fucking kitchen. I just thought for back in the day, that just seemed kind of odd. I didn't think it was as odd, but I am used to the Bruce Wayne, Alfred Pennyworth relationship. Sure. So I am used to a, to a butler telling, telling him to get his ass in gear. Yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, movies are just lying about how people used to talk to, talk to each other. Sally knocks at the door and there's no answer. So she walks in. And she screams in terror. Yeah. At whatever she sees. We don't see what she sees. All we see is like that and the light, the glowing light from the projector. Right. And she drops the tray. And it goes to a commercial break. So what happens next is uh, Danny comes back. The agent comes back. Mm -hmm. And Sally is basically saying like, she was there. She wasn't there. The projector room is empty. The lights are on. This is the first time that we've seen this room with the lights on in it. And Sally's just like, she wasn't any, I can't find her anywhere. Danny's like, was See, she Okay, her? hold on. Because that sounds odd. She screams bloody murder. Yes. And then she goes, I don't know where she is. Yes. And like, that's, wait, what? That's my, thank you. Thank you for pointing this out. That's, <laughs> that's my issue with this final act, this final revelation. Because this buildup here is very good we don't know where she is we don't know like what's going on yep and the scream and terror makes you think like something's weird something weird happened like she saw something happen yeah but then it's like well wait where did she go and then he gets the idea to turn off the lights and turn on the projector which where does that come from or does he think, oh, she'll, she'll she'll come out because she's hiding until her movie's on, and then she'll uh, <laughs> pretend she's acting again? Like, what? What are you thinking is gonna happen? I'm sorry. Yeah. Maybe go he. Ahead. Th- or did he think that she like filmed another home movie? Like, I don't know. Oh, now she's doing home movies. <laughs> I don't know. Like, that's the thing. I just I don't understand the thought process. Yeah. Another thing about this is it is 1959. <laughs> so like televisions existed. Televisions were huge. Right. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like maybe she would have had a TV in that room too. I don't know. So. Well, no, that's her projector room. Yeah, you're right. It's her projector It's literally room. her films. Like. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. She, she's using her. She film. moved the TV. There's a TV room. She's got a mansion. So this she has is a where. room. <laughs> yeah, you're right. She has another room that's a TV, a TV room. I'm sorry. <laughs> you have two TVs? <laughs> I don't think that this is a great payoff because what we find out is she's just on the screen surrounded by her friends at the mansion. So she's Mm -hmm. in her mansion in that like courtyard hallway area. And what we get, like what, what you see is fairly iconic for the Twilight Zone. When this was on Netflix, when we were filming or filming when we were recording this we i watched it on netflix i assume now it's on paramount plus listeners i don't know when you're listening to this but yeah they currently own it but or or you have it on blu-ray because we told you to buy it on blu-ray or you realize that you should it's on your shelf life it's understandable 
I I, pro- I will probably get it when it, when the price is right. The Netflix thumbnail thing that shows different scenes from each show. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. One of the ones that it shows, it shows your your classics. One of the ones it shows is Danny slowly standing up as the projector starts playing. Right. It, so I think that is kind of like one of those iconic images. And it is. It's a great it's a great shot. The cinematography oh, yeah. and the acting and everything. Like it makes you think something is horrifying. Like he's Absolutely. selling it. Like he's like holy crap. You can tell he just like realized something in his eyes that he's seeing something. And and it's just that she's on she's just on screen. Like she's just like with these characters that exist in her movies. And the idea, I guess, is that she somehow got sucked into the film reel. This is where I just, I don't know what happened. And that's what's so confusing about it. No, I think that is what it is. I think she gets to stay in that moment in time. I think she wished so hard to be in that time again that she gets pulled in and forced to stay there forever in that moment in time. And that's where I don't know what they're going with. They could have spun it in, is she dead? Is she trapped? All of the above. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe it's kind of like one of those, she is dead and she got sucked into it type of thing. She'll live on well, in the movies. And it's, I don't know. Okay, I mean, it's, yeah, it's like, kind of an odd thing. I can't really tell yeah, what maybe it is. Maybe you're right. Maybe she li- like maybe that's what it is. She lives on through her movies. Like, that's her legacy, I guess. But, like... But it, it doesn't work with, like, the rest of the message. That's what I'm saying, yeah. It should be she wished... Uh, well, to, to finish this up, Danny starts shouting, like, Barbara Jean, come back, Barb, Barb. And she, like, is holding a scarf. And she acts like she can kind of hear him saying, like, she hears somebody off in the distance, like, calling for her. Right. And she drops the scarf as she leaves the screen, and the projector runs out. And this is where I don't, is she in an alternate universe? Like, I mean, it's what? the Twilight Zone, so it could be an alternate universe. Did she travel back in the past? Is she in an alternate timeline, an alternate 1959? Well, because if, like, he's calling out to like, her back to, to come back too? to the future. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> if, like, it's like, come back to the future. Or is she, is he's like, because he's calling out to her to come back. And it, it's kind of... It's kind of parallel to how he's trying to say, stop sitting in the past. Like, come here. Come into the future. Right. You know, but she's present. still... Or the present. And she's just still focusing and walking back to the past. She leaves. He contemplates what it could possibly mean. She He leaves that room and then finds the scarf on the ground. Which is such a Rod Serling ending, like, oh, was it real? Was it not real? Did she film this? Did she make them real? It, like, were they there? And then she oh, filmed yeah. it? That's what I'm saying. But if, she, but so if she filmed weird. it, it wouldn't be on the screen at the same time as she's filming it, right? Well, that's that's my point. Okay, so that's where I was like, okay, did she commit suicide? Well, that's what I kept thinking. Maybe she did commit suicide. Maybe that's what he was yelling for her to, like, like come back realized, to him. Like, this and it was, was actually, like, her like, last, suicide? like, act was, like, to film this yeah and then she jumped off the mansion or something yeah like like this is her this is where my life energy is going to be for now on is in the movies this is where i will live on is in the movies and she commits suicide 
And, and he's trying to, like, talk her down. And I don't even know, like, how that would work. Because, like, wouldn't she? Because no they idea. couldn't find her body. Like, did she van? Like, it's so weird. And I he, don't know. He smiles. <laughs> it's the Twilight Zone, for one. He but smiles yeah. and says, to wishes, Barbara. To wishes. And that's the end of the show. And it's like, what What was the message here? Yeah, because then he smiles. Cause... He shouldn't be happy about that because he wants her to move on. And now he's like, I guess guess she got her wish. <laughs> yeah. I'm so happy for and her. What? I get that not every Twilight Zone ends in a cynical manner. You have happy endings in some Twilight Zones. Yeah. But it feels like the message here should have been she got what she wanted. She got what she wished for, and right. she regrets it. Yeah, and she like should be pounding on the screen. Yeah, wanting like she, to she, get like, out. She realizes she's stuck. Like, now. no, I'm stuck now. Let me out. Let me out. Should have been like the way it ended. And, and not goodbye. Yeah. And, no, and it's like not what happened. And I know what the ending of Sunset Boulevard is. We won't get into that because yeah, I don't no, no spoilers. That I want to know for you. <laughs> It's just, I don't know if that's what, like, if Surly was trying to do a similar tone. Like, I just feel like it was muddled, the ending. But that is the end, um, as he just says, to wish his Barb, and, and Barbara gets to live for something in the movies with the characters that she loves, I yeah. guess. It's so hard to figure out what happened. <laughs> that's 16 millimeter Shrine. So, Rachel... I'll let, I'll let you go first. Does this episode have shelf life? Is it shelf worthy? You put okay, it up there. So, so here's here's my thoughts. Here's my thoughts. I think it it still is a story that is brought up today, and I think it's still like a story that's within different genres and stuff like that that they use. Right? It's that trope. Okay. However, I'm not really a big fan of this episode. <laughs> For me, this one was kind of drawn out. Okay. It was a it was a little slow. It was I couldn't really get into it as much as I was getting into the other ones, which was like the surprise if I got into like the old western one. Right. We have like this one that I was kind of like, okay, I'm kind <laughs> of like, all right, I get the point, I understand the concept, but I don't know if it. I don't think it would live on my shelf. Okay. Before I give my answer, I will. Here's the ending narration because I was hoping maybe this would give us an idea. So this oh, okay, is. Cool. I'll, I'll yes. do Rod Sterling here. <clears throat> to the wishes that come true, to the strange mystic strength of the human animal, who can take a wishful dream and give it a dimension of its own, to Barbara Jean Trenton, movie queen of another era, who has changed the blank the blank tomb of an empty projection screen into a private world. It can happen. In the Twilight Zone. So that makes it sound... It doesn't sound... help. <laughs> no, here. It doesn't help. Because it still doesn't work on like, what they're trying to get across here. Oh, you wish enough, you get to stay in the past forever? What? Yeah, it, that's what I'm saying. it just doesn't fit the... Re- it, okay, the next and this episode... this is why it doesn't live on my shelf. The people. next episode, <laughs> I love the next episode of the Twilight Zone that, that we'll get into. It just doesn't. It doesn't seem to fit. But yeah, I don't know. I, I there's a it's there's a good enough character story here for me to for me to really want to put it on the shelf. 
Yeah, if, I know. If, I know what you. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, if for nothing, and and then the cinematography, the lighting is yeah, that's so really good. good. It's good. Like for a f- movie from 1959 on TV. I mean, it it gets to live with the rest of the group. Oh yeah. Uh, I but to your point, I don't know if I'm gonna watch this episode a lot. Um, if it's really gonna come back for me to to watch it again. So I'm borderline. It's probably not. But there's enough in there where I definitely would say, like, you can watch this one and, and enjoy it. Oh, yeah. But, but then get confused at the end, you know. <laughs> you're going to get confused at the end. <laughs> and you might not watch it a lot. No um, satisfaction at the end. Or maybe not after once or twice. So that is 16mm Shrine. Rachel, this next batch Oof. of episodes. Oof. Holy shit, ladies and uh. gentlemen kind of exciting this is this is a main event the, this I, it, it the, the is. next four four to five episodes is a main event of twilight's what is there's something you, behind you something? well there's something behind you that well, i just don't wait, do you see like, no there's like a thing i think wait, it's behind me thing. yeah well, how could it be the same thing? We're, we're I don't know. M- hundreds of miles apart. I mean, Wait, I don't know if I can 